What's up and welcome to the HorrorCast, episode 100. Thanks for listening. Uh, All of these years we started out in January of 2015. Thank you for all of the listening over all the years, all the interaction on Facebook and Twitter and, and, and people that, uh, really keep us going, you know, cause if there, if we only had like my mom listening, uh, then we would probably have faded out uh, long ago, but we do this because, uh, we love horror and we love interacting with people in the horror community. And, uh, it's been a great, great thing. Right guys. Right. Yep, absolutely. Yes. Uh, I am Mark Nato. I'm one of your hosts tonight. And let's bring in Mr. Revenant. Vin, what's up? What's up, man? Yeah, this is a good topic that we think we've got tonight for the uh, 100th episode. Uh, I'm definitely in the mood. Our family just decorated for Halloween. So we've got like corpses in the living room and, uh, you know, haunted real, objects. Real ones? They look real enough. They look real enough. All in a kind of an orange glow from the lights. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I got the ambiance around me. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, let's welcome in the Terminator. Happy anniversary, everybody. Happy I anniversary. Just say, Happy yeah. anniversary. All right. <laughs> I just got to say, like, I mean, I just started out as just a regular old listener, but when I found this podcast, I knew I had found my people. And I think a lot of people that have listened all these years kind of feel the same way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's neat. It's neat. And I've said this many, many times on the podcast. Uh, I don't have a lot of friends in real life that like horror. You yeah, know, right. I, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor. People yeah. always ask me like, you know, oh, you're, you're a pastor and you like horror. Well, uh, it's it's just uh, something that I grew up with, and and it's just always been something that I've I've enjoyed. It's nice to speak about horror with people who know what they're talking about. <laughs> you know, I might say something to somebody uh, who I think might like horror, and, and like they have no clue what I'm talking about. So I'm like, okay, well, oh, I know I was always a, cl- <laughs> a closeted horror fan. You know, yes. I had nobody to. I, you know, drug my kids into it, but I had nobody yeah. to talk to about it either. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a what? I'm a 52-year-old grandma, so it's not like, I don't know. I'm, it just shows how diverse the horror community can be. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, all genders, all races, all, you know, whatever. We've got it all on the on the HorrorCast uh, Facebook page and all are welcome at the horror cast. Well, it's true because like with horror, if you're one of us, you automatically get cred. It's like, you don't have to prove yourself. You know, it's not like <laughs> you got to drive up in the coolest car, or wear the certain clothes or have certain abilities. I don't know. It's just like, if you like this stuff, you're automatically in the in crowd and we accept exactly. everybody. And I yeah. like that. And you know, I said about making references and people not know. And like, when you said that, I was, I wanted to go one of us, one of us, you know? Yeah. And if I did that in regular mixed company, everyone would be like, what is he doing? But you know, horror fans will be like, yeah, baby. Just wanted to say that, we are going to be going down our list of 100 hundred hidden gems of horror and we've decided 
that we could, it's actually Vin's idea, I believe. I, I came up with the idea of doing 100 hidden gems because I love hidden gem lists and episodes. Uh, anytime someone can turn me on to a movie that I hadn't heard of before or maybe heard of, but no one really pushed it on me. I love that, and it yeah, really me ticks me off when I look at hidden gym lists on like Facebook, and it's like all stuff that horror fans should know. Yeah, you know, you know what a really good hidden gym is? Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Boy, that's a good one. You know, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think that's a hidden gym. So we decided that we were going to go with that, and Vince said, "Well, why don't we do one hidden gym?" Each year, one for each year from 1920 to 2020, uh, and that equals 100. I did my math. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're going back to really the very beginning of film. Uh, and at the beginning of film, there was always horror. Uh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, it, it's it's one of those things that w- wasn't one of the very first things. Uh, well, first of all, the one with the train coming at people. Yeah, I forget what that's what was called, but that scared the crap out of people. I think it was just called train coming at people. Yeah, yes, train <laughs> coming at people. Uh, and then I, I believe um, wasn't it Thomas Edison and Frankenstein? Yeah, yeah that was nineteen ten. Was, was in there nineteen ten? So yeah, but it, the first jump cut is from an Edison film from eighteen ninety five, and it's the execution of the beheading of Mary Stewart. Yes, and it's yes. only like ten minutes, but there's like a jump cut where they replace the body with a dummy. You know, but uh, it's kind of like a mini 10 second horror film. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff to to uh, to watch even from way, way back. And so we're going to start at 1920 and we're going to talk about one movie from each year that we don't think gets enough love. You may have heard of it. You may have not. I'm not going to come on here and make the claim that we're going to go through this list in 100 uh, movies and you're never going to have heard of any of them uh that's almost impossible to do but uh if we go back to the 20s and 30s and stuff there weren't as many movies being produced and made so you might have heard of them but you might not have really heard as much about them as some of the other movies made during those years but um you know as we get into the you know, 60s 70s 80s 90s then those are going to be like i think a little bit more deeper cuts you know, like people are like, oh, what in order are you talking yeah. about? What are that for? And I think yeah. we should also say that, like, this is not like a best of list. You know, no. it's we're not saying that these are the best films of that year. Uh, no, you know, no way. In in a few cases, that might be true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but for the most part, we we kind of assume that you know the big ones from that year. Yeah. Um. So we're trying to get for the ones that are not talked about nearly as much. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, before we get ready and do our countdown, I did want to do some shout outs. Uh, like I said, we we started in, I believe, January of 2015 uh, with our, our first episode. And before that, uh, we were, uh, well, at least myself, Walshie and Horror Gal were a part of a show called Killer Flicks. So I want to give that a shout out, say uh, thanks to Slasher Matt for for kind of really bringing the three of us together. Um, we started the horror cast after killer flicks ended. And I believe it was episode. Was it seven? Then, uh, that you came in. I th- it might've been seven. Yeah. I think it was, it was episode seven. One of those seven or eight that, uh, <laughs> Revenant Vin came in <laughs> and, um, became a part of, uh, the horror cast family. Uh, and then we, we ended up having a creepy Keith 
on for a while. Uh, Mr. Venom did many episodes. Now Brandon Young and Mr. Watson also pop on uh, here and there. And of course, lots of guests and lots of interviews and things throughout the years. It's really been great. want to say um, thanks to Dan DeSillitz. He is the guy who produced our theme song which I love. I think it's the best horror theme song uh, for podcasts. Got a, a, a studio up in Quebec, Canada. And if you want to know more about him, uh, go to his Facebook. It's Dan DeSillitz, D-E-S-I-L-E-T-S. And uh, for Vincent Tangway, for our logo and um, I guess it would be our mascot. His name is Horrorcast Jack. And those are uh, that, that, that's really one of the best I've seen. I, I mean, I love it. It's so great. Every every time somebody sees it, they're like, "Wow, where did you where did you guys get that done?" So Vincent uh, Tangway, and you can check him out on Instagram. Go to Instagram and look at Vincent Tangway Art, and Tangway is spelled T A N G U A Y. <laughs> yes. So there you go. And by the way, this is a hundred official episodes. If you were to take all of the content that we've put out, you could even can. Um, consider killer flicks as part of that or whatever, but the guttural reactions, interviews, we've done some commentaries, all kinds of things that we've done. I mean, we're well over 150 pieces of content, but these are official episodes, which are kind of like our normal episode where we uh, either do a list or we review movies. So I just wanted to say that. So, uh, and again, the caveat is that not all of these movies you're going to not have heard of, but we think that they are worth your time. Um, I'm going to make this list public on my Letterboxd account, uh, but not until after the show has been published for a while. And uh, if you want to add me, it's the the real Mark Nato because there was an imposter. How <laughs> I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the real Mark Nato on Letterboxd and all. All hundred of these are going to be on there if you want to go through and and watch them. And then also, I was new to Plex, P-L-E-X. It's kind of neat. It's like a server, and I can upload movies and stuff on there. And if uh, you add me as a friend, then I can give you access to watch those movies. Um, A lot of these movies are up on my Plex. And if you want to add me on there, it's just Mark Nado. And you can watch some of these movies on on here. And we'll probably try to give you the information as to where these movies can be seen as we go through. Because some of them can be seen on YouTube, some on Prime, some on, um, you know, all kinds of different places. And these will not be full reviews. We're not going to spend, you know, even 10 minutes on either one. We're, uh, there'll be probably five minutes per uh, just these movie suggestions with a few comments and I'm sure some of them we'll, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about than others. But uh, we just want to give you the basic info so that you can uh, go out and, uh, and watch them. And then the last thing I want to say, we're going to do some giveaways in between decades. And then also, instead of doing uh, commercials or spots, uh, we are going to be doing some horror cast blasts from the past in between the decades. I'm just going to uh, play a clip, uh, just a couple minutes long, or uh, of a conversation or something that happened uh, within the last five years uh, on the horror cast. So there you go. There you go. You guys ready to go? Ready. All oh, yeah. right. Drum roll, please. Brrr. All right. <laughs> 
we're going to kick this off with 1920. So that means that Revenant Vin was only three years old. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, and, and Vin, you did come up with most of these from, from the early days. Um, so I, I'm sure Vin will have a lot more to say than maybe Tammy and I, right? I mean, I don't know. Because he kind of really knows his stuff. <laughs> From 1920, our first movie uh, is called The Penalty. It is directed by Wallace Worsley. Uh, and it, it stars Charles Clary, Doris Pawn, Claire Adams, and Lon Chaney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blizzard, deranged from a childhood operation in which both his legs were needlessly amputated after an accident, becomes a vicious criminal and eventually mob leader of the San Francisco underworld. All right. So what do we got to say about the penalty? Well, I mean, you know, most people from 1920, I mean, if you've seen a 1920 film, it's probably maybe the cabinet of Dr. Caligari or, mm-hmm. uh, John Barrymore's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which is in a lot of box sets of movies. Uh, And of course, people know who Lon Chaney is, but this is the movie that made him famous. Mm -hmm. Um, He had been in some stuff earlier than this, uh, but this is the one that really put him on the map. And, you know, the character that he plays, uh, Blizzard... Which, which by, his story is ridiculous. It, it is just an absurd <laughs> story. It was based on a novel, like some, you know, not a very good novel either. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's this amputee who had his legs cut off by a doctor, and he wants to get the doctor's revenge. But he's like a crime boss, mm-hmm. and uh, he's abusing people and having them make hats and everything. I mean, the story is absolutely absurd, but. The reason this is worth it is because of Lon Chaney. Yeah. Uh, he he has his legs bent, and he yeah. has them inside these um, these leather um, you know uh, leather contraptions to make him look like an amputee, mm-hmm. and it looks very convincing. And also oh, yeah. the way he moves across the screen. You know, it looks like he's somebody who has not had legs in years. You know, the way he can move his arms and climb pegs and everything like that. Uh, And his his acting is genuinely great. Um, There's actually there's a really terrific scene where he plays the piano. But because he doesn't have legs, he can't do the the pedals. Mm -hmm. So he has this woman doing the pedals, you know, and he, he knows that there's something about her as like a betrayer. But he he doesn't want to kill her because he doesn't want the music to die <laughs> you know and it's it's scenes like that that make this movie worth it i mean the ending is terrible uh yeah. I, will, I will throw that out there you can literally turn it off like 10 minutes before it's over um but it is worth checking out for lon cheney yeah i love the uh little fireplace secret entrance and yeah uh, <laughs> yeah lon cheney was i mean he was the man back then you know he really was uh, the man of a thousand faces and he really uh, he was uh, somebody who was very dedicated to his craft mm-hmm. and, and uh yeah this this is definitely worth worth watching for sure faux show uh tammy if you want to say anything about anything just blurt in no, I have to. I cannot join the conversation till 1930. I didn't get okay. anything in from 20. Sorry. No problem. No problem. All right. 1921. And this one uh, is called The Phantom Carriage, uh, directed by Victor. I think if it is it Zolstrom? 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 I think Zolstrom. Zolstrom. Zolstrom, I think maybe. Um, yeah, it's a Scandinavian film. Yeah, it's a Scandinavian <laughs> so. film. I can't pronounce this stuff. Don't hold it against me. Um, 
this is one of the earliest movies that like I thought they really did such a good job with the special mm-hmm. effects in this movie. Um, it stars uh, Victor, whatever his name is. Stillstrom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hilda Borgenstrom, uh, Tori Svenberg. Uh, you're not going to know any of these people, okay? But it's very simple. Um, uh, it's New Year's Eve. Three drunk people evoke a legend. The legend tells that the last person to die in a year, if he's a great sinner, will have to drive the phantom carriage or basically you become the Grim Reaper and you go and pick up the souls of dead people for the next year. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just going to lead in with this one. Th- this is a movie that really uh, is is creepy. It's just creepy, man, because of some of the f- special effects. Uh, you look at that carriage and the way that they did um, uh, the ghosty images. Yeah, the double exposure to I, create yeah. the transparent you know, carriage. Like, and- like when he goes in and, and he rips the guy's soul yeah. <laughs> out of his body and takes him to the care. I mean, that. That was really good. Well, they they go for a drowning victim, so you see them go underneath the water with the carriage to collect somebody at one point yeah. too. It's yeah, um, yeah. It's it, the special effects are terrific, but the acting is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Victor Silstrom, he does a terrific job. Um, and there's scenes in here that seem to have been a large influence on later films. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is the film that inspired Igmar Bergman. Um, but it's also, there's a, an ax chopping scene at a door that is very much, very much reminiscent of Jack Torrance. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this is, uh, this is a really extraordinary film. I think this one is terrific. Yeah, it is good. And it, and it does have, it has depth of story. Just a scary emotional weight here. Yeah. There's emotional weight. There's woman's on her deathbed. Uh, you know, basically this guy has to kind of relive his, his life. Right. You know, and, and all the things that he's been yeah. through and it's almost like an Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. It, that's kind of it, it, a lot of parallels, uh, to a Christmas Carol, but this one's definitely, definitely uh, a lot darker. Mm. I think, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Tammy, uh, definitely watch this one. It, it can be seen on YouTube. Um, I really meant to watch it. I could not find it. Any with English subtitles. Really? I thought mm-hmm. I put it up on Plex. The one I put on it, Plex didn't have it. Then why do you put on Plex? Didn't you know what though? It was so visually like I still was like watching it, seeing if I yeah, could just you, kind you of still need to know what was going on. Yeah, you need to know what's going on mm-hmm. so you can follow the story. And and I, that is a caveat, you know, that we're gonna say here, especially in the in, in some of the twenties. Um it, these are silent films. Yeah, you know, uh, there, there's title cards that, and and, and um, cards that will let you know what's going on or what somebody's saying. But it is 1921, so we we haven't gotten sound yet. So, and and I think it really depends on what you listen. Like, there, there I've listened to or seen this movie and li- and ha- had different um, scores with it. Uh, have you, Vin, or uh, I'm not aware of anything official. Um... It's been a while since I watched it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I watch them without sound. Uh, you know, yeah. it's because they're all public domain. I can kind of watch them in different settings. Yep. <laughs> uh, so there are times where the music I find distracting. Okay. And I'll turn it off and I just, 
I just to take the visuals in instead and, you know, create my own soundtrack in my head. Because uh, sometimes the whatever music accompanies it is sometimes subpar and can really take you out of what's going on. Okay. It's not always designed for the action that's going on sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah. I get that. I get that. Some Sometimes, like, um, if uh, Criterion gets a hold of something or whatever, and they'll put they'll yeah. they'll score it like for specifically for it. I just didn't know mm-hmm. if something like that had happened or whatever. Because when when people went to the theme, the cinemas, say in 1921 to watch this, there'd be somebody there playing music, right? Right. That's usually yeah. How, there'd be like yeah. a little yeah. band or piano man or something like that. Yeah. 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 People never watch them in silence. Um, yeah. You know, we call them silent films, but they always had music going along with it. All right. So we're going to be moving on to 1922. This one we actually did a full review of back on, I believe it was episode 11, where we dove into this and then uh, The Witch. I know you really like this one. It's called Haxen. Yes. And I know this is probably a little bit more well-known, but I'm not sure if a ton of people have actually taken the the, the opportunity to watch it. Directed by Benjamin yeah. Christensen, uh, it's called Haxen Witchcraft Through the Ages. Uh, grave robbing, torture, possessed nuns, and a satanic Sabbath. Benjamin, Christen- <laughs> Benjamin Christensen's legendary film uses a series of dramatic vignettes to explore the scientific hypothesis that the witches of the Middle Ages suffered the same hysteria as turn-of-the-century psychiatric patients. But the film itself is far from serious. Instead, it's a witch's brew of the scary, gross, and darkly humorous. It's definitely got some crazy, crazy visuals in it. Right, Vin? Uh, some of the best visuals of the silent era. Um, and it's it's deceiving. You know, when it first starts, it's Benjamin Christensen basically like lecturing you with like yep. cards and mm-hmm. you know <laughs> pointing to pictures, and you're, you're like, you're, what did I walk into? Um, but then every act that comes about um, changes things. Like for the first thing he gives you is like what people believed witches were, you know, mm-hmm. and then he'll go into basically how women were persecuted by people who believe them to be witches. Um, and he keeps on going through these, uh, he, he, you know, the culpability of the clergy, each vignette changes a little bit, but it's fantastic stuff. Yeah. It, it is, um, in my opinion, it, it's probably one of the best made films of the silent era. I mean, it, everything, you know, together, I think it's uh, really, really crazy. And there's really some creepy, stuff you know that that you find yourself watching in this uh, yeah i think there's even some stop motion animation at one point you see like mm-hmm. little like, demons going through a door or something mm-hmm. um i mean this movie will will surprise you as you yeah. go through it's very unexpected just how good the visuals are when they happen yeah, yeah i think tammy's how dark you like let it go <laughs> yeah i think tammy's gonna like this one i think so. i remember this is back when i was just a wee listener i remember you guys talking about it and i gave it a try at that time but I don't think I made it past like maybe five, ten minutes. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's an acquired. You didn't taste. get to the good stuff at all. Yeah, I know. I, it's, I, it's, listening to you now, I think that's probably what happened. You have to look at it as, you know, almost like this is kind of a, a history lesson, really, to tell you the truth. I mean, because I, I don't think all of these mm-hmm. that we're talking about in the twenties are necessarily going to be like really pulling you in with a story or something. I mean, some of them do, but to me, just watching something that I know was made a hundred years ago. Yeah. 
had um, done so well, like for the time and, and the things that they had available to them, the resources. So, all right, 1923, moving on. And we've got Warning Shadows, directed by Arthur Robeson. Um, during a dinner given by a wealthy baron and his wife, attended by four of her suitors in a 19th century German manner, a shadow player rescues the marriage uh, by giving all the guests a vision what might happen tonight if the baron stays jealous and the suitors do not reduce their advances towards his beautiful wife. Or was it a vision? Uh, this was, is this, is this German? So yes, it is German. It's very expressionist with the shadows. You know, I thought this one kind of started off a little slow. It's a little bit more of a, a drama, but then it kind of, kind of picks up, uh, near the end. What do you think, Vin? What do you get to say about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, this is not as exciting as the last two that we just talked about. Um, it is kind of a, it, it's a slower film. Um, but it is, it is interesting. I mean, for 1923, I think it's a hidden gem. All right. Moving on to 1924 directed by Paul Lenny. It's Waxworks. Um, this stars Emil Jannings, Conrad. Is it Vite? Vite. Yeah. Vite. Um, William, uh, Dettiri, Werner uh, Krauss, uh, a poet is hired by the owner of a wax museum in a circus to write tales about um, Yvonne the Terrible and Jack the Ripper while writing the poet and the daughter of the owner, Eva, fantasize the fantastic stories and fall in love. Is this the, um, that's the guy that does the uh, the laughing, or the smiling man or the laughing man? Yeah, we've got, uh, I mean, Paul Lenny coming to America and he did first The Cat and the Canary and then he did The Man Who Laughs, which mm-hmm. starred mm-hmm. Conrad Veidt. This movie's kind of a crossroads of some pretty heavy talent for uh, for Germany and the Weimar Republic in yeah twenties, um, yeah you've got Conrad Veidt playing Ivan the Terrible. Uh, I think Werner Krauss. I think he ends up showing up as like Jack the Ripper or something, kind of stalking mm-hmm. him at one point. Um, and it's it's kind of a fantasy film, uh, but it's got this you know horror moments of horror in there. Um, but yeah, I mean Ma- Paul Lenny ends up being quite the master filmmaker. I think he, he ends up dying fairly young. Unfortunately, I think by 1930, he died of like an infection or something. Yeah. Um, but he was, he was a pretty amazing talent. This is considered by a lot of people, like maybe kind of like the first horror anthology, little vignettes, maybe yeah. in there, there were although, earlier ones, but although you yeah. could say Haxon is sort of like that too. Right. Sort yeah. Like and there that. was yeah. one from 1919 that Conrad Vite was also in called eerie tales. That was a, that was an anthology as well. Yeah, but I just remember this one being uh, pretty visually interesting, costume design and all of that stuff. Moving on to 1925, and it is a movie called The Monster, uh, directed by Roland West, a uh, general store clerk. An aspiring detective investigates a mysterious disappearance that took place quite close to an empty, insane asylum. This one stars also Lon Chaney, uh, Johnny Arthur, Gertrude Olmsted, uh, Hallam Cooley, and Walter James. All right. Uh, I think this is kind of one of those old dark house type horror films, right? It's uh, um, yeah, yeah. It's real. It's really good. One of the earlier ones. It's yeah. definitely one of the one of the earliest ones. Um, I don't think that the main character holds up all that great, uh, but I mean, Lon Chaney is he chews up the scenery. And there are some fun set pieces. Yeah, I think there's one where he's trying to escape a guy, and he ends up going like 
into a window, down a banister, out a door. <laughs> yeah. It's very cartoonish the way it all happens. I agree. I agree. And it, uh, I think that it is funny in, in some spots. I mean, for, for 19, yeah, 20, 25 moments. It was just the one where the guy like swallowed his gum. Uh, probably. I think it yeah, is. Yeah, I don't remember that, that clearly, but. Yeah, I think so. I think so. All right. Uh, we're up to 1926. And 1926 is a um, Japanese, right? Yeah. Japanese uh, film called A Page of Madness. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to pronounce this guy's name. Is it T- Tensuki Kunagasa? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, Tiansuki Kunagasa, I think, is the the director. Um, I'm not even going to tell you who it stars because I can't pronounce them and you're not going to know them anyway. A man takes a job at an asylum with hopes of freeing his imprisoned wife. So, A Page of Madness is not an easy film to follow. Uh, In silent cinema in the Japanese era, I don't think they use intertitles very much. Instead, they had like a storyteller who would be along with the movie. So this would be a person who would like do dialogue. They would um, give behind the scenes information. So it was kind of a, it was a different kind of show. And the thing is with this movie, we don't have what that guy said. Um, Mm -hmm. That stuff didn't survive. Um, So in this movie, it's kind of a miracle that it survived because so much, so, so many films of the early Japanese era were destroyed in firebombing. In World War II. Um, I think it was actually found in like a shed or something like that. Um, but it's it's a very surrealist type piece. Um, you're seeing you're seeing through the eyes of somebody who is insane a lot of the time. Yeah. So the horror comes from the madness that we're seeing. And you can kind of follow a plot, but it is a little bit difficult sometimes. But really, I mean, there are striking visuals in this. Um, it is some really impressive and also eerie scenes inside mm-hmm. this film. Um, I really like this one. Uh, even even if it's a little bit incomprehensible at times, um, I, I think this is a real gem. The, the visuals make up for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've read a lot of things that like people said this should be a great double feature with the lighthouse because it's like about madness. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that say that it's just too too hard to comprehend but you know i'm gonna trust you and i do get the chance i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it because sometimes i can just watch it for the visuals you know yeah yeah that's really what this one is gonna be all right all right so that was 1926 a page of madness we're going to 1927 and this is a film called the unknown uh, directed by todd browning it stars lon chaney uh norman Mm -hmm. carey joan crawford a young joan crawford uh, Nick DeRuiz and John George, uh, a criminal on the run, hides in a circus and seeks to possess the daughter of the ringmaster at any cost. This is a movie that I, I really think that uh, Cheney is the is the bad guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, with well, that hat. Yeah, and he's, you know, supposedly has no arms, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's pretty, once again playing uh, an amputee. Uh, yes. <laughs> he's, again, very visually striking yeah and i think again remember that man of a thousand faces and you look at you know he's definitely got the makeup job on or whatever but especially at the end like when the thing's pulling the guy apart the horses are (laughs) pulling the guy apart uh you know he's standing there smiling and wringing his head you know pretty unsettling stuff but um i really could not find an entire uh film of this 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure if you had watched the whole thing. I've really only seen it in, in parts. Yeah. Um, I've never saying, watched it from yeah. beginning to end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always scenes. I've seen a lot of scenes from it. Um, but I think that it's it's harder than I had imagined <laughs> to find a lot of them. Yeah. But I mean, like you said, it is Joan Crawford. It's Lon Chaney. I mean, this is, you know, this is quite a little piece of historic cinema. Yeah. Uh, if you're interested in it, uh, you can watch like the, the big cumulative scene uh, at the end. You know, just type that into YouTube, the unknown 1927. You know, the big scene or whatever at the end, and um, you know, it, it's interesting to watch. And you could see a little bit of uh, uh, Lon Chaney's character there. But yeah, that, this one doesn't get a whole lot of talk, and it that might be because because it's not readily available you know, from beginning to end. Mm. And trust me, I looked hard everywhere. <laughs> so, all right, 1928. Uh, we're going to get into some, um, uh, this is Edgar Allan Poe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1928, the fall of the house of Usher directed by Gene Epstein, uh, a stranger called Alan goes to the house of Usher. He is the sole friend of Roderick Usher, who lives in the eerie house with his sick wife, Madeline. When she dies, Roderick does not as- accept her death. And in the dark night, Madeline returns. Uh, this starts. This stars uh, Jean Debencourt, uh, Marguerite Gantz, Charles Lammy, and a couple of other, looks like maybe French. There's this French. It's a French film, yeah. French film, yeah. So not not anybody you're really going to recognize. Yeah, tell me a little bit about this one. So yeah, Jean Epstein, he was a he was a writer. Uh, he did do quite a few movies. It's definitely his most famous one. He was also like a literary critic. Mm-hmm. And uh, the French loved Poe. Uh, they really did. And he he created something that was very surrealist. Um, this movie is more like a, and this isn't the last movie we're going to talk about that's like this. It's more like a dream than like a straight narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't all have to look realistic, and a lot of times it doesn't. Um, but he has these kind of sweeping camera moves where they move forward down the hall, and the wind is blowing the leaves, and um, looks very dramatic looking. This is another one that just has like creepy imagery occasionally. Mm-hmm. And it kind of combines Poe's The Fall of the House of the Usher with a take on Oscar Wilde's Dorian Gray. Because you have Roderick, who's painting a portrait of his wife, but the more he paints it, the more her life is drained from her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like the first half. The first half is more like a take on the picture of Dorian Gray, and then the second half is like the fall of Usher. And it's only like an hour long, um, and it's you know you can say this is kind of a little bit overly indulgent <laughs> in times, <laughs> uh, but it was heavily influential, um, especially on in some of the films we're going to be talking about uh, just shortly down the road. This movie influenced a lot of filmmakers um, with what with what it was trying to accomplish. So, still very striking images. Um, I think that narrative wise, modern viewers might lose some patience with it sometimes, uh, but I still think that it's worth checking out, especially the the key scenes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to say this is another one that's kind of hard to get a hold of uh, unless um, you just buy it. I think there's you can buy it on uh, well, Amazon. Well, actually, there there is a version of this on YouTube that I would recommend. Um, it is well, a very clear that, copy. I think that's the one that I uploaded to Plex. I, I mean, think it's, so. It's uh, I didn't watch the Plex one, but I did watch the one on YouTube. And what's interesting with one of the ones on YouTube, if you look for it, there is a like a, a spontaneous score 
that's happening um, where they're just, it's a live track that people are playing and they're doing all these screeching violins and yeah, and I think voices. I saw that one. Yeah. yeah. That one's, that one's actually a really cool one to, to watch this one too. Yeah. Or, or you can go to Amazon and you can buy the DVD for $97 and 99 cents. Yeah. No, <laughs> why not? Why not? It's a collector's edition. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's close out uh, the twenties with 1929's uh, Un Chin Andalou. Is it's that like right? an Andalusian dog. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Directed by Louis Buniel. Yeah. It's a classic Buniel. European avant-garde surrealist film from the cooperation of the director in Salvador Dali. The film changed the way people made movies. Most famous is the scene of a woman's eye being cut with a knife. Yeah. Um, and most people have probably seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, I mean, once you realize what they're doing for the special effect, it's so obvious. But when you first see it, it, it is, it, it does make you cringe. Uh, you know, this is, again, this is kind of a short film, very surrealist, uh, but mm-hmm. definitely some of the most memorable shots of the era that were also reused in later films by people without permission. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's going to do it for the 1920s. We're 10 down and uh, it is time to give away a DVD. Uh, Tammy has a DVD that has what, what is it? Night of the living dead, the original house on haunted hill, 1959 dementia, 13, 1963 night of bloody horror, 69, the Brain That Wouldn't Die, 62, and Nosferatu, 1922. Very nice. Very nice. And we're going to give that away to Will Hetzel. Will Hetzel. Yes. Uh, friend of the show, listener, and uh, he's on our Facebook group page all the time. So, Will Hetzel, uh, I'll contact you on Facebook if you don't hear this, and uh, we'll get that out to you. And we're going to pause real quick for a blast from the past from the HorrorCast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the HorrorCast, episode number one. First of all, I want to thank you for just clicking on this and wanting to hear what we have to say. That's the reason we are doing this, so definitely a shout-out to you. The first episode of HorrorCast is going to be an introduction episode, so this will not be a normal format. We will explain everything on this first introduction show, by the way. I am hosting this evening. My name is Walshy. That's what friends call me, and if you're tuning in and listening, I could consider you a friend. I am podcasting from the Bells of Pennsylvania, from a little town in the northeastern part of the state, Scranton Wilkes-Barre area to be exact. Uh, Pennsylvania seems to be the horror podcast central. I know of many great horror movie podcasters, and I'm glad to be in their party. So I guess the right way to actually introduce myself is... My name is Walshy, and I am a horror addict. <laughs> if there was Horrors Anonymous, I'd be right there. As far back as I can remember, I've been enamored by all things horror. This has obviously stayed with me up until this point, and boy am I glad. I'm just simply fascinated with everything this genre has to offer. I took this addiction so far to even get a whole arm tattooed with some of my favorite movie monsters and villains. Let me say that I'm super excited to be doing this show. And I can't wait to hear what happens and see what happens with this new venture. One last thing I'd like to say is I am not a horror expert. I'm just simply someone who loves this stuff and enjoys talking about it. The best part is I happen to have two friends with me on the show. And I'm glad that we're going to be talking and discussing about all things I love. 
which is, of course, horror movies. It's just a plus to me that the conversation is recorded. So that's enough of me. I now want to introduce my two partners, the man behind the boards and a friend from a previous podcast recording from Southern Maryland is Mark Nato. I'm so glad you're here with me, Mark. Please tell the people a little bit about you, man. Hey, what's up, Walshy, man? It's it's uh it's awesome to be podcasting again after a couple months. We've been through a lot in those months, and I'm just so excited to get going again. Uh, same same as you, man. I'm I'm a horror addict. I love horror movies. It goes all the way back to when I was five, six years old, and some of the first movies I can remember seeing are horror movies uh, such as. Um, uh, the Shining, Ghost Story, and just some of these movies that really are ingrained in my brain. And uh, went all the way up through junior high and seeing all the Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Streets. And I just love horror. I love it. And what it does, it, and it, it thrills me. It gets me, um, gets the adrenaline pumping. And I love, more than anything, I love discovering new horror. There's so much great stuff. But one of my main loves is is discovering those new gems and bringing them to the listeners so that they might enjoy them as well. I'm here in, uh, like you said, Southern Maryland. Uh, not too much happening here in Southern Maryland, brother. But uh, I am glad to be here. I'm glad to be on here. Uh, and uh, let's get it going. I can't wait. Oh, absolutely, man. I am so happy I have you on me. Uh, this is going to be an amazing venture. So I'm just as excited. But that's not it. Of course, we're saving the prettiest for last. We also have another friend from that same previous podcast. Recording from the infamous Los Angeles, California, it's YouTube's own Horror Gal. Please introduce yourself and tell the people a little bit about you. Hey, Walshy. Thanks so much. Uh, I am Horror Gal, a.k.a. Susan. And I have pretty much been a horror junkie my entire life. Uh, ever since I was little, I was influenced early on by Elvira, Vincent Price. Um, then when I got a little bit older, I was into things like Halloween, uh, of course, John Carpenter's 1978 classic, and Nightmare on Elm Street. And I was initially really enthralled, but also completely terrified of horror. So I figured the best way to overcome the fear and satisfy the enticement that it was giving to me was to just watch as much of it as I possibly could. And I really discovered that I really, really loved horror movies. And I'm especially a fan of Universal Monsters, uh, 80s slashers, horror comedies, um, kind of a, a mixture of everything. And I decided to create this YouTube channel because I saw other people that were into horror, same as myself. Now, being here in L.A., I do have a lot of perks that I love as a horror fan, but I decided that would be a nice way to get in touch with other horror fans around the country and the world. And then, of course, Walshy and I uh, became affiliated. And as he was saying, we were on a previous podcast, and it was absolutely the most fun. So I am really, really excited to be with you guys and be on this podcast and just talk about all of the horror movies that we love, old, new, different just all of it. It's very excited. <laughs> so I'm really happy to be here. All right. We are back and we're going to get into the 1930s. So 1930, uh, the movie we're looking at is called The Bat Whispers. Can I interject by... something before we move into the 30s? Yes, you can. 
And maybe the great Vin might know the answer to this. Um, I've noticed, like, (laughs) okay, so all these that we were just talking about in the 20s, and this is before, like, any, like, real globalization or anything like that. seems like a lot of these are foreign. What was Hollywood doing at this time? And were people, like, okay, so we've had Scandinavian, French, German. Were people in other countries seeing these movies? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I mean, it, right after World War One, uh, you know, the German film industry kind of explodes. I mean, they have some amazing expressionist films, but there was a major bias against those films in the U.S., um, partly for war reasons. I mean, they were just our enemy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So it took, a, it took a couple of years for some of the movies to come over. Um, like, uh, you know, Captain Dr. Caligari did eventually come over, but there were like protests against it by some veterans. Um, when it first came out, but people were were catching on that the Germans were doing something very special, but the U.S. doubled down on realism. Uh, they wanted to kind of do the exact opposite of what the Germans were doing. So mm-hmm. both, they were seeing things from the other side of the country. I, I mean, from across the, the ocean. Um, but, you know, it was usually a little bit after the fact. But still, I mean, you know, Hollywood was courting German filmmakers in the second half of the 20s. Paul Lenny... Um, you know, F.W. Murnau comes over. Uh, there's some major talents that end up coming over and end up influencing our movies. Um, so we start seeing more expressionism in our movies. We start seeing, you know, especially by the 1930s, you start seeing the stark shadows and um, the influence of German cinema. Uh, Karl Freund. You know, there's a lot of people from Germany that end up coming over. Um, so, yeah, they, there, were, there was cross-pollination, but it started happening kind of later in the 20s. So we can thank the Germans for Hollywood and NASA <laughs> <laughs> and other things <laughs> and other things and Wiener schnitzel. Yeah. All right. All right. So that was the twenties. Now we're going to get into the thirties, uh, with the bat whispers from 1930 directed by Roland West. Uh, stars Chester Morris, Chance Ward, Una Merkel, Richard Tucker, uh, DeWitt Jennings and S.E. Jennings. Despite advanced warning to the police who seal off the area, the bat, a master criminal, steals a necklace from the safe in the house of a rich socialite. He leaves a note saying he is going to the country to give the police a rest. Pausing only to rob a bank at Oakdale, he proceeds to terrorize the occupants of a lonely country mansion in a mixture of thrills, chills, and laughs. There you go. That's the bat whispers. Uh, what do you think, Vin? Um, well, this is, this is, a the second film version of this, um, Roland West, who was a director, he, uh, he did a silent version, 1926. That was a huge success. This, this was a play, um, a really successful play. Uh, and yeah, the silent film was a, a big success. And then he did this, this talkie version, you know, a few years later. And, uh, I mean, this is one of the very first widescreen films. Um, he's also using like dolly cams really interesting ways uh, moving the camera around using like little miniature buildings to zoom in like through windows. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a dissolve and you're inside the house. Uh, I mean, you know, this it's kind of like a flying camera throughout the, mm-hmm. the city, which is completely novel. And then there's one great shot of a camera in the back of a police car while the police car is riding around, you know, at night and you see the headlights come up on the, the back of a car in front of it and it turns and goes around. And, um, it, that was hard to pull off back then. I mean, cause mm-hmm. you know, cameras were not po- portable. Uh, 
uh, back then. They were they were very big. They were heavy. They were cumbersome. Um, so they had these special cameras built for a lot of these things. And so I mean that stuff is just dynamic. And yeah, uh, the stuff in the house. I mean it's this is the quintessential old dark house movie. Um, mm-hmm. it is, some of it's still pretty funny in certain points. I mean, not all of it holds up. I mean, it, it's 1930, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I still think that this is a fun film. Um, the stuff that's going on, you see the bat, right? And this, you know, Bob Kane had said that this was one of the inspirations for Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, when you see the bat shadow, you can definitely tell that. Um, but it's, you know, interesting set design. There's like these absurdly long staircases that seem to go to almost nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, I think, a great shot at the end where there's a building on fire and we're seeing the, the flickering from the flames on the window. Um, and then you see, like, the, the silhouette, the bat moving along those those flames. And, oh, yeah. Um, it's, it's a great, it, it's, great ending. Yeah. It, it's, you know, and he, they even break the fourth wall at the end. So mm-hmm. this is meant to be, like, a, a horror mystery comedy. Um, yeah. This is meant to be fun. I think I think it still holds up. I mean, there's still some really good filmmaking here. Yeah, I I completely agree. I thought it was fun, uh, and I was just really, really impressed with the filmmaking. Like, uh, mm-hmm. this is, I mean, this had to have been, like, you know, kind of like guerrilla filmmaking. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of learning on the fly, trying things. A lot of innovations uh, here. Yeah. The technical prowess. Just just way ahead of its time, and uh, this is this is one that I'd like to see uh, on, a, on a big screen like in theater. I mean, the I filmmaking that. here is more dynamic than a lot of the 30s movies that follow it. Yeah. It feels yep. like it's from a later time period almost. Yeah. Yep. I agree. All right. We're moving on to 1931, and this is Tammy's favorite. And uh, <laughs> I think this is also probably one of the ones that is more recognizable on mm-hmm. our list. But I don't think a lot of people have necessarily watched it. Definitely uh, serious film buffs know about this. But I yeah. don't see a lot of horror fans talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and this is called M, uh, directed by Fritz Lang. It stars Peter Lorre, uh, Ellen Widman, um, Otto, is it Wernicke? I believe so. Um, Paul Kemp. And there's there's some, uh, I believe, uh, was this German again? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's some yeah. German names here that I just can't pronounce. I'm sorry. Uh, Hans Beckert, a serial killer who preys on children. Again, we're getting into some, <laughs> you know, dark it's a stuff heavy film. For, yeah. for 1931. Uh, becomes the focus of a massive Berlin Berlin police manhunt. Uh, Beckert's heinous crimes are so repellent and disruptive to city life that he is even targeted by others in the seedy underworld. With both cops and criminals in pursuit, the murderer soon realizes that people are on his trail, sending him into a tense, panicked attempt to escape justice. All right. So, Tammy, let's let's bring you in on this. What what was it about this film that made it kind of hard to, to watch for you? I had almost like a visceral reaction to this film. I think it's every mother's worst nightmare. And I'm not saying it's not a dad's worst nightmare. I know it is. And I think any dad would have just straight out killed the guy. But I think it's every day after a woman has a baby, (laughs) especially once that kid starts school, you literally wait for them to come in that door every day, knowing that um, you don't like to think about, but there's always that chance that they just might not. And so to have this start out with that exact thing happening, um, I bought it into like the first half of the movie. I hate 
a little bit better than I did the second half. I hate the subject matter. Um, and I, I know we're not spoiling or anything, but I mean, they eventually catch this guy and I felt like the movie became extremely preachy at the end and tried to make me feel sympathetic towards this child rapist murderer killer. And that, you know, when I was talking to you guys, I brought up that I thought the lesson kind of was like, you know, what he who is without sin cast the first stone. And I, I just had such like a, there's, there's all different to me. And some people might say, you know, a crime is a crime is a crime. But what this guy did, I, I just think it puts you at a, a whole different level. You, you don't deserve the justice system. You don't, you know, like if, you know, so like these mob guys, eventually come into the picture and are given a chance to kind of like judge him and i think you know if you choose a life of crime and you're willing to accept the risk of you know you, you're probably not gonna it's not gonna go well for you you could get jailed killed shot whatever that's one thing but this guy was preying on our most innocent you know people in the world and i i just think that there's n there's nothing you could say to me there's no excuse you could give me there's no amount of pleading. I mean, when he's pleading, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I, I, I just like, oh, my God, I, it was all I could do not to turn it off and to sit there and have to listen to him plead his case. It was just it was just too much for me at the end. Now, I did think he did a wonderful job playing a disgusting, lecherous slime ball. Mm -hmm. I think he portrayed I mean, you could just see it in his eyes. They were vacant yet to filled with um you know not being able to you could see in his face he couldn't stop what he was doing he hated himself yes i believe he had all all of those feelings but i just have no empathy or pity or anything for somebody who did what he did and for a movie to try you know it's one of those things like child killers are rehab rehabilitated a bold change my mind kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't even, I just don't even want to hear it. And you, you have to sit through basically his whole defense case. And it felt kind of preachy to me. And I know there's like, this is supposed to be some great art movie and I know it's well loved and I know it's a classic and I'm just never going to come around to thinking it. And I also brought up the fact that, you know, when he gives the guys those slip, the slip and he had his uh, coat on with the big M on it. If he would have just thrown his coat on the ground, he'd have been walking free to this day, probably. So that was, you had to kind of like, that seemed pretty obvious to me. Mm -hmm. I, there is some great filmmaking here. I think I'm just reacting to the subject and I felt a movie that just preached at me way too hard. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think it's interesting that you say it that way because I don't think that the movie was being preachy. I think that, for me at least, I, I think Fritz Lang was presenting us with difficult questions. And he ends it at a, such a point where it, they're not resolved. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, I think that this is a point when the Nazis are starting to rise. Uh, I think Fritz Lang was had a very negative feeling about humanity at that point. Because, you know, you he's being, yeah, he's he's despicable, this character. Uh, mm -hmm. that Peter Lurie's playing. But he's being put on trial by people who murder by choice. 
yeah. not yeah. because they're compelled. Um, so, I mean, they're also scumbags. But we also see, we see people like, you know, he the way he has people eating, uh, people obsessed with smoking all the time, like, you yeah. know, indulging in all these vices. Mm-hmm. I think that Fritz Lang was kind of disgusted by people. And... And he, it was about, I don't know if it was like Hugh who has not cast the first stone. I think he was basically pointing the finger and saying, all of you guys are guilty. Um, and when it came to Peter Lorre, I think that he was giving us difficult moral questions. I think based on your reaction, I think their portrayal was effective. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, is, yeah. this is for 1931. Yeah. This movie's an effective film still. Um, and Peter Lorre does give a great performance. But yeah, I, I see it more as an open question than as the movie trying to tell me what to think. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's got some uh, dynamic filmmaking, even to this day, I think. The performances and the filmmaking and all that. But it just, the subject matter is just too much for some people to handle. Like, you know, there was a, um, a film in 2004 with Kevin Bacon called The Woodsman. Did you ever see that? Yeah. 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 And he's about a guy, it's about a guy by, played by Kevin Bacon. He's a convicted child molester. And he is about him getting out of prison and kind of trying to move on with his life and you know, same kind of thing. They're trying to give you like maybe a little sympathy towards him or whatever. And it just, well, I never- think the important thing is to, to understand is not to condone, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does, it doesn't mean that we're, we're accepting of what they do. Um, but to understand why they do it is, I think still important to consider. Uh, and I think it's kind of what, what M starts to, Starts to yeah. preach. I mean, this is a human monster that's far closer to real monsters in real life. <laughs> you know, I feel like you know if if he was, you know, I I, th- I think that we're 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 almost more sympathetic to inhuman monsters that kill people uh, rather than the people who actually exist, uh, like mm-hmm. people like Peter Lorre's. Um, but yeah, I mean, he it, it's it's a visceral movie. I mean, it really, it, you know, like Dammy said, you you can have a visceral reaction to this. It's the whole first part is heartbreaking. Um, yeah, I mean, it and, definitely gave me yeah. feels. So, I mean, it's doing what it's supposed yeah. to do. I just felt there was a little bit of shaming if you didn't at least consider what he was saying. Yeah, and that doesn't mean let him go. <laughs> it just means that he's saying, I can't help it. Uh, I just don't. I just, yeah, I just don't even think you... Uh, I think in real life, in that crowd, one of the, I mean, the moms of some of the victims were there. I'm surprised one of the dads didn't just blow him away. Oh, yeah. You know, well, that's that what would have happened in real life. <laughs> let him have his say. Sure. And that just, I don't, oh, I don't yeah. know. I mean, yeah. you look at what monsters a lot of the Germans ended up. I mean, there's all different kinds of monsters, I yeah. guess. Well, right? I mean, I guess- Fritz Lang, his, his own wife was a devout, was devout to Hitler. You know, Lang fled, Peter Lorre fled. Uh, you know, they both came to the U.S. Um, you know, I think I'm fascinated by German horror cinema. I think that if if I had enough talent and time, <laughs> I would love to create like a script about German horror in the 20s and into the 30s and seeing what happens to people as they start joining either fascists or because um, it's it's a really interesting story with these people. Um, and I think you know it, it, the next film that that Fritz Lang made. Uh, I think it was the the testament of Dr. Mabuza or whatever. Um, the Nazis were trying to block it and everything like that, and that's what really made him want to leave. And uh, but you know, you can you can kind of see that Germany is in a bad way in this film. 
You know, one thing I uh, did notice was I was very surprised by how much forensics were used. I guess, like, in my mind, I kind of think oh, yeah. of that as, like, being this a is much... an early police procedural, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And it was fascinating. Like, I, I mean, I guess I don't know what I expected they knew or did back then, but I actually did notice that, wow, they were a lot more forensically advanced than, I guess, I thought they would have been at that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that was cool. All right. Big movie. Yes. Yeah, big movie. Watch it at your own risk. That's all I got. All right. Moving on to 1932, directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer. Or Dreyer? Is it Dreyer or Dreyer? I think it's Dreyer. I usually hear Dreyer, I think. Yeah, it's uh, Vampire. Vampire, I think. Vampire. V-A-M-P-Y-R. Starring Nicholas DeGunsberg, Maurice Schultz, uh, Renee Mandel. Uh, Traveler Alan Gray arrives in the village of, is it Courtempierre? And takes lodgings in a small inn. Gray has a great interest in the supernatural, particularly vampires. He's barely settled in when he feels a sinister force descending upon him. In the night, an old man enters his room to tell him she must not die. One of the old man's daughters, Leon, has been bitten by a vampire. In order to break the curse, Gray and Leon's sister, Giselle, must find the original vampire and drive a stake through her heart. Yes. So this is... um, I mean, when when was Nosferatu? 1922. This is is kind of known as, like, uh, the other, you know, (laughs) really old vampire movie, I I I think. Yeah, it doesn't get the, near the other, as much conversation yeah. as Nosferatu. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly later. Um, you know, this is a it's it's a sound film, but it's kind of still more more filmed like a silent film. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not as much dialogue; it's more like sounds <laughs> that mm-hmm. we'd hear. Um, but yeah, this is again, you know, Dreyer. He he had made um he made the Passion of Joan of Arc. Uh, a couple years before this, considered a masterpiece in silent mm-hmm. cinema. Um, that was kind of a commercial failure, and so was this one. Uh, but this is complete surrealism. You know, this is another movie that it defies being pinned down. I mean, you kind of gave a a synopsis there, <laughs> but mm-hmm. even then, you're like, yeah, kind of. That's what's happening at certain points. Yeah. Um, this is a you know shadows move of their own accord in this. There's some crazy imagery it's not always clear exactly what's happening sometimes and that's by design um you know because surrealism is supposed to tap into the dream you know into the the unconscious basically and that's kind of what he's doing here and it has some again i i keep going back to imagery there's some fantastic imagery in this Mm -hmm. um and it, it was i think i actually filmed a couple months before dracula before Todd Browning's, even yeah. though it was released after. Um, and this is almost like an anti-Dracula. Like, yeah. you know, instead of a debonair, suave count, we have a, a crone, an old woman. Uh, instead of Van Helsing, the hero doctor, we have a doctor who's in cahoots with the vampire. Um, and we have a hero who, he seems to, he, he sees everything from, like, through windows and from a distance. He's always, like, removed from the action that's mm-hmm. happening. And at one point he even like goes like, he becomes like disembodied <laughs> and experiences his own death. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's a very bizarre narrative, but at the same time, I think it's a fascinating film. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's more like if Nosferatu is, is kind of like 
um, no, I'm sorry, if Dracula is more like a, the mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Vampire is more of like the indie. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the more arty, arty, art house. It's avant garde. If, yeah. if we're talking about like uh, terms we can think about as, as today, like mainstream versus. Well, the way I yeah. think about it is, you know, Dracula was basically an adaptation of a stage play. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a stage play. It is straightforward. It's very yeah. stagey at times, uh, you know, and it feels like it feels like a film stage sometimes, a stage mm-hmm. play. Um, whereas Vampire can only exist in cinema. Yeah, you you cannot perform that in any yep. other medium. You know, it's 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 a piece of art that can only happen in cinema, and that's it. And I think that's the kind of thing that makes it very special. Yep, I agree. It's a good one. All right, going down to 1933, and this one is called Supernatural, directed by Victor Halperin, mm-hmm. um, starring Carol Lombard, Alan Dinehart, uh, is it Vivian Osborne, Randolph Scott, H.B. Warner. Uh, after her brother's death, Roma Courtney becomes the heiress to his fortune. When fake psychic Paul Bavian claims to have a message from Roma's dead brother, he coaxes her into participating in a seance. Although Roma's fiancé, Grant, first believes the seance is nothing more than a scam, he eventually realizes that the vengeful spirit of an executed murderer has possessed her body. There you go. Um, This one I had not gotten to. Have you seen this one yet? Um, I saw it. Did you see it? What did yep. you think about it? I liked it. Is this um, one of the first movies to have like the woman be the evil being? You know? Uh, yeah, it's an early one. Yeah. Uh, we start, or yeah, a lady in an electric chair, you know? Yeah, it's kind mm-hmm. of a precursor for the stuff we'd see in the 40s with mm-hmm. the female monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, I thought it was, um, yeah, it was good. It was, uh, I don't, it wasn't spectacular. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I, this is one of the first ones I watched, and I, when I was working on my notes today, I had to, like, go back and, like, rewatch the trailer to kind of refresh my mind about it. But I did like it. I mean, the women were beautiful. I thought it was, it seemed to be a little cutting edge for its time i mean i was you know it, it i noticed that the women were being allowed to be evil and possessed and all that kind of stuff so yeah i enjoyed it i mean i would definitely recommend it yeah these are this is the same team that made uh white zombie right so this is their next big one i think um this is carol lombard's only horror film uh of course after this she did screwball comedies until she until she died in world war ii in a plane crash um but uh, the, it, there's something very important about this film in terms of the supernatural, because American cinema was overall completely resistant to showing real ghosts in horror. Um, if there was a real ghost on screen, it was for comical effect. Uh, otherwise, if it was supposed to be horrific, you'd find out that the ghost was fake. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much how everything was. So this is the first like American horror film, really, especially in the 30s, but even the 20s, really, um, that had real ghosts in a horror film. Um, it's weird, though, because they, they still use like silent cinema techniques, um, you know, with the double 
exposure yeah. and everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas like they don't use like they don't use sound in a way that you would expect them to use, like disembodied sounds or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the in after this, we don't see this again until the Uninvited in 1944. Oh, wow. uh, so it's it's a very long stretch. This is like a, a rare blip where ghosts are something that is evil and frightening. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's you know it, vengeful there, there, too. I mean, she was vengeful. Yeah, yeah there there was cinema. Hollywood had a lot of um, skepticism, especially against spiritualism. Uh, you know, in mediums, and we we see that in this, you know, this kind of crooked medium, and that becomes a very tropey thing that happens. Um, yeah, I was seeing a lot of that, and I mean, they were even using yeah. uh, the Ouija, the Ouija board, and the Bat Whispers. So I, I mean, yeah. it almost kind of seemed like it was part of, you know, in the zeitgeist at the time. It was definitely popular, especially after World War One. There was an increase in spiritualism again, but uh, you know, cinema was generally very not generous with it and made fun <laughs> of it a lot. Um. But, uh, yeah, this is just, it's, it's an interesting film. It's one that was, you know, largely forgotten. Uh, I have a copy cause I used it as part of my thesis, but I had to get it from like the Warner brothers archive. Like I had to get like a, you know, them print on demand, basically DVD. And then I think just a couple months ago, it actually got like released wide again. Uh, but I think this is one that, you know, can be rediscovered as a thirties film. It, it holds up with a lot of those thirties films that are pretty decent. All right. Well, let's move on to 1934, and this one's a wacky one. <laughs> 1934's uh, Maniac. Uh, this is also known as Sex Maniac, isn't it? In some, uh, maybe. I'm not some, sure. I, I think so. Uh, it's directed I, by I Dwayne Esper. It. Yeah, Dwayne Esper <laughs> uh, stars Horace B. Carpenter, Ted Edwards, Phyllis Diller. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Theo Ramsey and Jenny Dark. An ex-Vaudevillian actor is working as the assistant to a doctor who has Frankenstein aspirations, and the actor kills the doctor and decides to assume the identity of the dead physician. Yeah, this is a nutso movie. It's an exploitation film. I mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's it's a. Uh, I think they have a riff tracks to this bad boy. Oh, probably. They, uh, yeah. yeah. But, it's got um, nudity. It's got like graphic violence. It does? I got, didn't watch this one. It, yeah, it there's full on nudity in this. Yep. What? Yeah. Yeah. Th- this this is crazy. This was they're, like a road show trying, movie. They're trying to offend you at every. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can imagine how offensive this movie was in 1934. Yeah. What year did um, censorship come? What year was that? Uh, this is I, by this point, I think you've got the Hayes Code coming in pretty hard. Uh-huh. Um. So, but this wasn't the kind of movie that would be like shown on big theaters all the time. Like they traveled with it. You know, and it was kind of yeah. like a forbidden fruit sort of thing that people uh-huh. were going yeah. to yeah, see. Yeah, like you'd have to you have to pay a nickel at the carnival to go <laughs> into yeah, <laughs> and, and see this bad boy. Yeah, I mean it's n- it's not well made. No, it's very amateurish. I th- I thought, but but if you like bad movies, it's fascinating. It, yeah. it is. But I've seen I've seen some people say that this was like a, um, almost like a. a inspiration for something like reanimator or something um, like that maybe yeah although reanimator uh, wasn't wasn't meant to be funny it just came out that way <laughs> yeah um yeah. Th- this one i don't think they were trying to make a serious film whatsoever uh you know th- this was this was let, let's just go crazy and make a buck um but it, it's known as like one of the original so bad it's good movies yeah yep that's 1934's maniac all right 1935 moving on 
keeping our pace up here uh, is Werewolf of London. And Werewolf of London was directed by Stuart Walker, starred Henry Hall, Warner uh, Olin, Valerie Hobson, Lester Matthews, Lawrence Grant. And uh, basically a strange animal attack turns a botanist into a bloodthirsty monster. Um, yeah, I thought this was uh, pretty good as is one of the, this is, I mean, when was uh, Wolfman? 41. 41. So this, this predates that, right? Yep. Yeah. This yeah. is the, this is kind of the beginning of werewolf cinema, sort of. I mean, there were, there were silent films that dealt with werewolves, but no, nothing being transformed into a wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the first time we have, you know, and this is essentially a Jekyll and Hyde story. Yeah. It's just, it's just instead of Hyde, you have a, a werewolf. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost the same story. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, like, again, if you, I mentioned uh, John Barrymore's uh, Jekyll and Hyde, like there's scenes inside the lab, where there's like fights and it's like, it seems like straight out of Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Very reminiscent. Yeah. And um, it's got the uh, makeup effects by Jack Pierce. Right. Although from what I understand, yeah, Henry Hull was not very, uh, he was not as patient as Boris Karloff when it came to makeup. And that's one of the reasons why he kind of looks more bat-like than wolf-like, uh, because he mm. didn't, he wouldn't sit in the chair for that long. <laughs> oh, you butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But again, I think this was, uh, this is really good effort, man. For if you, if you like older, uh, werewolf movies, or you're just a werewolf enthusiast and you haven't seen this one, this is really where it kind of really starts, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd say Henry Hull doesn't have all that much charisma. Uh, he's not like he's not the schlubby, sympathetic person that, like, you know, Larry yeah, Talbot ends up being. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but my favorite part about this, other than the transitions into werewolf, is the drunk old ladies. Like there's many times of these, you know, middle-aged women, uh, and older getting drunk and yeah. just being hilarious. Like <laughs> the one woman, she punches her friend out just like randomly at the dinner table. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 that, that was my favorite part of the movie is just watching drunk women. They always seem to, uh, <laughs> to throw some comedy in these older movies. Yeah. 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 I th- like they were almost um, scared to just make it really over the top scary. It we seems like all the horror here. came with a side of comedy. Yes. I'd like my horror with a side of comedy, please. <laughs> all right. Moving on, moving on to 1936. Um, the only where the only place I could find this is on prime. You have to, you have to pay like a dollar 99 or $2 and 99 cents to, to watch this one. But I think it's really worth it. It's called the devil doll. Uh, I wanted Todd to Browning. so bad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, a respected banker in, in Paris is framed for robbery and murder by a crooked associate and sent to Devil's Island. Years later, he escapes with a friend, a scientist who is working on a method to reduce humans to a height of mere inches. All for the good of humanity, of course. Uh, he is consumed with hatred for the men who betrayed him and takes the scientist's methods back to Paris to exact painful revenge. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, I picked this one um, not having seen it and then watched it. Um, what I mean, it was like it was like in in the running to be picked. So I said, I'm going to watch this and see. And it, it was everything that I thought it was going to be. And I, I mean, the, the acting in this is really good. Lionel Barrymore, uh, Marino Sullivan's all very good. 
really good because we were just doing these B movies uh, earlier in the summer. Remember about the, say, the, the small, the like small the people, the, the attack of the puppet people. Yeah, well, it's a better movie than that. I, no. <laughs> Yes, it is. No. Yes, it is. It's, I it's know, a different, I didn't see it, so. <laughs> it's a different kind of movie. But, yeah. um, yeah, I love Lionel Barrymore. He is one of my favorite, like, older actors. Um, but what did you think about it, Vin? No, I actually didn't see this one. Oh, my goodness. You're the only one that's seen this one. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta watch it. You definitely gotta watch it. It's, um, uh, <laughs> Lionel Barrymore disguised as an old woman. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's kind of like a horrific, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire type thing here going on. I watched the trailer. So I know what you're talking about. I saw him dressed up like that, but yeah, but you, you'd like it. I mean, it's worth, it's worth a dollar 99 on prime. Well, no, I got I, all excited because I saw your list and you'd said prime and I'm like, Oh yeah, I can just go to prime and it's not on prime. Well, I, I guess I should, I guess I mean yeah. Amazon for a dollar nine, but Honestly, I, I, I tried everywhere to to find this, you know, online where you could just stream it or mm-hmm. it's not on YouTube. No, uh, I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So just pay a dollar ninety nine, woman. I will. Trust me. It's a good movie. Nineteen thirty six, the devil doll. Nineteen thirty seven. Moving on along, we've got a uh, song at midnight. Uh, this is a Chinese movie. And again, we're going to mess up some names here. Directed by <laughs> Weebang Mazu, maybe. Um, <laughs> and this Chinese version of The Phantom of the Opera, uh, the mysterious song Danping terrorizes the newly rebuilt opera house and its young star. I'm not going to give you all the names of the people that star in it because you will not know. And again, this is one that I believe you picked, Vin. Um, yeah, I have not seen this one, so let let us know about it. Yeah, it's well, it's China's first horror film, um, so it's kind of amazing that we we have this. You know, it's it's actually it's very Western in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, of course, it's a Western story. It's Phantom of the Opera. Um, the music is very Western. Uh, there is, we see like some, you know, some uh, kind of gore makeup almost at certain points. Um, it there's great artistry in this film. Um, I think the drawback is kind of like the, uh, I, I don't think that it was well translated, <laughs> you know, like the, the, the dialogue seems very stilted when you're reading this stuff. Um, but you know, it's, it, is it better than other versions of Phantom of the Opera? I mean, not necessarily, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's kind of middle of the road for the most part, but I just think that, you know, to see where China's, uh, horror began, yeah. Um, it's, it's a really fascinating piece to, to explore. Yeah. Some of these are, are more like, you know, historical, right? Yeah. So you need to watch them because they, um, deserve you know, attention they, because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's 1937 song at midnight. All right. On to 1938, uh, they drive by night. Did anybody get a chance to watch this one? Did yeah. not. Well, no, I'm going to tell you. I picked this one because it's more it's more of a thriller. Uh I was I was having trouble finding in certain certain years like straight out horror movies. Yeah, late thirties horror kind of died away. Yeah. Of ways, so, so so what we're looking at here is more of a 
like a thriller type, and then the some and in the forties we're going to get into some uh, noir film noir um, that was kind of lumped in to horror, right? Mm-hmm. But this is one of those movies. It's got some really big actors, George Raft, uh, Anne Sheridan. It's got Humphrey Bogart, Alan Hale. It's got a, a, a big cast. And uh, directed by Raul Walsh, says Joe and Paul Fabrini are wildcat or independent truck drivers who have their own small one-truck business. The Fabrini boys constantly battle distributors, rivals, and loan collectors while trying to make a success of their transport company. Um, So it it really is more of just like a thriller, kind of mystery crime film. So it was really all I could find for 1938 <laughs> that was even close to to horror so but i would uh i would still recommend it because it's got a great cast uh if you're talking about you know 30s and 40 you can't get better than george raft and humphrey bogart um it's got a great story it's got some really good scenes uh so yeah i would say uh it, it's it's not a horror movie so don't don't kill me say oh mark native said it was a you know Big horror movie. Nope, it's not. But it's good. All right, 1939 was one that I just discovered. Uh, I, I just had no idea that this existed. So that's why I like to do this, is to kind of dig and define these kind of movies. And maybe I'm just like late to the party, because I had never heard of this. Uh, it's called The Return of Dr. X. Now, Tammy, you said you have seen this and... There's there's a bunch of these, right? I'm assuming right. that it's the return of Doctor X. That there's a Doctor X, you know, yeah, a, a movie yeah. that came before this. I but believe. again, the thing that the same thing with uh, they drive by night. The thing that really drew me to it was Humphrey Bogart. I think that Humphrey Bogart's a great actor, and uh, he's in this one. And this one is more of a horror movie. Uh, it's directed by Vincent Sherman. Uh, Dr. Francis Flegg, a specialist in blood disease and research, has been a re- assisted in recent months by a mysterious fellow named Marshall. Is it, uh, they call him Dr. Q. Uh, is it Quesney? I don't know. They always call him Dr. Q. Who is extremely pale with a streak of white hair. <laughs> um, newspaperman Garrett, following the disappearance of an actress whom he claims he saw dead but turns up alive again, makes makes him look foolish, but he slowly becomes suspicious of Dr. Q and Flegg. Uh, again, Humphrey Bogart, Rosemary Lane, uh, Wayne Morris, Dennis Morgan, a, a lot of uh, uh, Howard Hickman, a lot of, of good actors and actresses from back here. Did you get to see this one, Vin? No. Oh, man, you got to see that. You got to see this. D- Humphrey Bogart is so good in this movie. <laughs> he's got, he's obviously got this white makeup on to make him look pale, but he's, he's definitely, he's like a crazy scientist who is draining people of their blood. And, um, what was it? He's trying to, is he trying to, to reanimate them or he's, he's trying to, I think he's trying to cure things or trying to to do things well, to advance to science, but he's he's doing it illegally. Yeah, he's got some rare blood type, right? That he goes yeah. to nefarious lengths to acquire. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while since I've seen it, but again, I have not seen like 
the first Dr. X. I didn't know like a, these series of movies even existed. Um, but he's, he's got this pale face and he's got that, like, he's got those gaunt features anyway, Humphrey Bogart, mm-hmm. I thought. Mm-hmm. And he's got that like white streak in his hair, like almost like a skunk. <laughs> and he's just creepy. Yeah. He's very creepy. Um, yes. And, and another thing that, um, got me in this movie was the newspaper reporter, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember which I don't know if it's Wayne Morris. I'm gonna look and see. Yeah, Wayne that, reporter Walter Garrett. Yes, Wayne Morris. Morris. Mm-hmm. Uh he died in nineteen fifty-nine. Uh he was kind of becoming more famous uh as, as an actor, and then World War II hit, and then he never kind of recovered his rising star. But I could see why he was becoming a rising star because just his voice and mannerisms and everything mm-hmm. reminded me of Jimmy Stewart, mm-hmm. like big time. I was like, "This is like, this is like a lovable, likable, everyman Jimmy Stewart kind of guy." And this is the only movie movie I've ever seen him in, and it's a shame that he died that young. But uh, yeah, I, I would really, 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 really recommend this movie. I enjoyed it. Matter of fact, uh, I'm going to get it on Blu-ray. That's why I liked it. I liked it that much. So get on it, Vin. All right. Well, that does it for the thirties. So we are going to, uh, pause for just a minute and we're going to do a giveaway. And I have a, I know Tammy, you're going to love this. I have a Blu-ray <laughs> of, of guess what movie from this year. It, it's freaking color out of space. Yes, it is. I, oh my God. I, <laughs> Please take I, my name out of the running. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, I thought that I had already, uh, I didn't think I'd already purchased this. So I purchased it on sale and I got home and I was like, oh, I already have this. So my mistake, my stupidity is somebody's gain. And we're going to give this one away to Jane Elizabeth Friday. And you want to know why? Because you're nice. That's why. I apologize, Miss Friday. <laughs> She apologizes. Yes. So, um, Jane Elizabeth Friday, if you are listening, contact me uh, through Facebook and I'll get your address and I'll send that right out to you. You're going to like it. You're going to like it no matter what Taminator says. Uh, We're going to pause right now. We're going to have a blast from the past from the horror cast. Welcome to the HorrorCast First Annual Academy Awards. This is the Mark Nato, and we are excited to uh, do this award show and give out some awards for some some greatness in the horror genre. Best Director, Best uh, Female Lead, Best Male Lead, Best Effects, Best Horror Anthology. We've got 16 categories that we're going to be handing out today, and so many great uh, guests that are going to be on our show today. Uh, I believe maybe 13 or 14 different podcasts have um, agreed to be presenters and you get to not just hear us, but you get to check out about 13 or 14 other uh, horror podcasts, horror review podcasts. And uh, so if some of these guys I know you've heard of, some of them you might not, but uh, it's going to be a fun ride. All right, we're back, and we're getting into the 1940s, and we're going to start with a 
a lesser-known Bela Lugosi film called The Dark Eyes of London, uh, also known as The Human Monster, directed by Walter Summers. Insurance agent's physician collects on policies of men murdered by a disfigured resident of the home for the blind, where he acts as a doctor on call. Again, stars uh, Bela Lugosi, Hugh, Hugh Williams, Greta Gint, uh, Edmund Ryan, Wilford Walter. Um, anybody else see this one? I did not. I did. No, I didn't. You didn't see it. Oh man. Uh, I thought it was really good. I mean, I don't, I had never heard of this movie before. Uh, I always like to see Bella Lugosi on screen. And, uh, I thought he was, uh, really good in this movie. Uh, it it kind of, it makes me sad to see him in his later movies because he was kind of, I don't know, I guess being, more made fun of. Do you agree with that? Like kind of be kind of a, it was a caricature. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, he, he plays a good character in this. I, I, I enjoy this for, for, um, you know, I, I'm going to say this, that some people might consider this a, a 1939 movie, but, uh, I'm, I can do what I want. Okay. This <laughs> is our show. We're going to do whatever we want to do. Cause again, I was having hard time finding a, a, a decent horror film. Uh, from 1940, but anytime you get uh, Bela Lugosi in, in a in a film, it was good. Compelling story, good acting, some good comedy. So, yep, Dark Eyes of London, 1941. Here's one that uh, Vin you recommended, and I hadn't seen it before. <laughs> and uh, wow, and I did use the word problematic when I <laughs> when I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it was definitely, definitely, you, you've got some, um, you got to put a, a caveat on this in 2020. Yeah. And remember when this was made and, uh, but you know, we had that, that same problem with some of the movies, the universal movies that we, that we watched back in our, uh, you know, monster Palooza mm-hmm. in our, in our, in our universal monster spotlights. Cause, uh, there's a lot of racial things that, uh, would, are just not acceptable really nowadays, but uh, back in these days it was. So it was called King of the Zombies, directed by Gene. Is it Jean or Gene? Uh, this one might be Gene. <laughs> Gene. I don't know. I don't know. Gene Yarborough. Yeah. Uh, during World War II, a small plane somewhere over the Caribbean runs low on fuel and is blown off course by a storm. Guided by a faint radio signal, they crash land on an island. The passenger, his manservant, and the pilot take yeah take <laughs> refuge in a mansion owned by a doctor. The quick, the quick-witted yet easily frightened manservant soon becomes convinced the mansion is haunted by zombies and ghosts. Uh, this stars Dick Purcell, Joan Woodbury, uh, Manton Moreland, Henry Victor, John Archer, Patricia Stacy, and Guy Usher. Um, yeah. This is definitely very schlocky. Very yeah, well, this schlocky. is the year before Ghostbreakers had come out, you know, mm-hmm. and this is like, this is definitely coming off of those, the heels on that, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we have to realize that half the cast is black mm-hmm. and early 1940s, that's like the nadir of roles that were being offered to. Yes. So that. Mm-hmm. African-Americans, you know, uh, they were, they were going to be servants and it was going to be a fairly racist, um, depiction. Uh, and that is absolutely true 
for this film. Um, 100%. But I think there's also something interesting he has going for it, is the fact that, you know, Manton Moreland, he is our main hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't get top billing, because racism, but yeah. at the same time, uh, he is the person that we're following. He is the main kind of hero. Uh, he's the one that's right all the time. And yeah. because because of his race, the, the white guys that he's with, and I'm not even sure why he's with them, uh, they don't, they disregard him. Um, and I think that it's, you know, often, often African-Americans were kind of like, you know, glorified furniture, uh, you know, in, in these scenes, but in this movie, like they, we see their world in a certain way in the cinematic world. And Mm -hmm. I think that after you watch it, you'll, you'll find that the, the African-American characters were far more memorable than the white characters. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's problematic. You have to look at it, you know, put it in its 1941 box and say, okay, you know, we we know that this is going to be racist. Uh, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's like, I, you know, I, I I feel like we should give some attention to these actors who, you know, were, you know, they, they were given material that wasn't the best, but you know, the, we see actors making the most of it in this film. Um, you know, I, I think they deserve some. They deserve some attention for that. Yeah, but he was he was a good actor. Yeah, you know I, I guess after Shemp died, uh, the Stooges were considering adding him as really? Stooge. Um, he was a good physical actor. Yeah, and I, that's kind of hit. That was his shtick back mm-hmm. then. Was like the the scared black guy. You know, uh, he wasn't he in the uh, Charlie Chan films. Yeah, I think he I was seen those. Yeah, he was known for being in the Charlie Chan films, and uh, I thought he was good here. I, I was laughing out loud in in some spot. Or there was the one where, um, oh, was it they were they were at dinner, and he was he thinks saying he's a zombie. Yes, he thinks he's a yeah. zombie. I think it's a pretty good gag. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Just his facial yeah. expressions and, and all of that. Yeah. It, it, it was. <laughs> He was funny. He was funny. So you gotta you gotta look at that, and you gotta say, yeah, this is a time period that you know this this was this was all he really could be doing. But he he was he was doing a good job at it, and he was uh, you know making some money. And you know? this was another year that I think it was difficult to find a selection for. <laughs> um, so I be- I forget what else I had before you. Um, I think you actually might have had ghost. Ghost Breakers, which is yeah, uh, yeah. Bob Hope. Bob Hope, yeah. Um, yeah. But that's a very well-known film. Um, yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, 1942, uh, The Undying Monster, directed by John Brom, uh, stars J- James Ellison, Heather Angel, John Howard, uh, Bramwell Fletcher, uh, Aubrey Mather, and a werewolf prowls around at night, but only kills certain members of one family. It seems like just a coincidence, but the investigating inspector soon finds out that this tradition has gone on for generations and tries to find a link between the werewolf and the family, leading to a frightening conclusion. Anybody else seen it? I saw half of it, but it wasn't because I didn't like it. It's just I just didn't get a chance to finish it. No, I didn't Did see, see this it? one or the next two. Yeah, this is a good, this is a good werewolf picture. It's more of a murder mystery kind of, you know, Scotland Yard comes in and, uh, but it man, it's shot well, black and white, good set, good location. You know, um, I, I was, 
I was impressed with this one. So definitely uh, give it uh, give it a watch. I think it's I think it's on YouTube. Pretty pretty sure it's on YouTube. All right, nineteen forty three, right? My own forty three. Yeah, number, yep. number forty three. Uh, the Leopard Man, directed by Jacques Turner. Um, when a leopard escapes during a public- publicity stunt, it triggers a series of murders. Uh, stars Dennis O'Keefe, Gene Brooks, James Bell, Abner Biberman, Ariel Heath, and Ben Bard. See, this one I had seen a, a, a long time ago and thought it was uh, was pretty good. Uh, but I do not haven't I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. But I think it was kind of similar to what's what's that movie? The Cat People. The well, Cat he People. Made, he made Cat People. I walked with the zombie. And a movie we're yeah. going to talk about later, Night of the Demon. And yeah. it's, yeah. So yeah. it's got that kind look. Kind of reminded me of that. Um, there's there's really not any violence or anything on screen, but um, there, there's a bloody hand. But it uh, it was a good uh, it was a good movie. It's a good watch. So I would uh, I would recommend that you watch it. And then 1944 is... A really, really good one, I thought. Yeah, me too. Um, anything having to do with Jack the Ripper, mm-hmm. I'm usually all about. And this is called The Lodger, uh, directed by John Brom. Uh, stars stars, stars Merle uh, Oberon. Uh, I don't know if it's Laird or Lard. Krieger, George Sanders, Cedric uh, Harwick, Sarah Allgood, and Aubrey Mather. Uh, in Victoria... Victorian era London, the inhabitants of a family home with rented rooms upstairs, fears the new lodger is Jack the Ripper. Um, what did you What did you think, Tammy? Well, I've seen this, and this this has been remade many times. This is one of Hitchcock's earliest films from twenty seven, and then I didn't I haven't seen it, but in nineteen fifty three they remade this starring Jack Palance, which I would love to see that but anyway this see that yeah this laird krieger like from the minute i saw him i couldn't believe anybody would let him in their house <laughs> you know what i mean like he was just the slime menacing menacing yeah just i mean there was the the what's her name the kitty the dancer yeah. the like moulin rouge can can type mm-hmm. dancer i'm like girl can you not see, see that what a lecher this guy clearly is, but I, I really liked this, um, great story. You can see, I mean, not necessarily, but you can kind of see why Hitchcock would have made a movie about this. Just kind of got that, you know, kind of who did it, who done it kind of a thing to it. Um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. uh, some good suspense built. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And you know, is he, is he not, yep. uh, music is good. Performances are good. Um, yeah. Yes, yes, so, yes, and yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And again, this is on YouTube for free. So, Vin, you need to be watching this. Yeah, I've seen I've seen Hitchcock's original from twenty seven, but uh, I didn't get a chance to get this get to this yep. one. Yep. Vin, can you start pulling your weight around here, please? I know. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you didn't pick all the nineteen twenty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, nineteen forty-five. This There's one is uh, one of my favorites on this yeah. list, yeah. and I know mm-hmm. that it is 
it's probably a little bit more well-known to call it maybe a hidden gem. But, you know, I, I think that I doesn't think get enough love. I don't think in the horror community it's, it's known. No, and it, this yeah. one has a couple different iterations also. Yeah. So, But this, this was, this is called The Spiral Staircase, uh, 1946, actually 1945. I don't know if. This is another one of those where it, it might have been kind of uh, wishy-washy as to what's 45 or 46. Uh, I'm, we're going with 45. Okay. Um, directed by Robert Zoidmack. In 1916, beautiful young mute Helen is a domestic worker for the elderly ailing Mrs. Warren. Mrs. Warren's two adult sons also live in the Warren Mansion. Mrs. Warren becomes concerned for Helen's safety when a rash of murders involving women with afflictions hits the neighborhood. Uh, So somebody is stalking women who have afflictions and killing them. She implores her physician, Dr. Perry, to take Helen away for her own safety. When another murder occurs inside the Warren mansion, it becomes obvious that Helen is in danger. Uh, this has got a great cast. You've got yeah. uh, Dorothy McGuire, George Brent, Ethel Barrymore, uh, Rhonda Fleming, Kent Smith, Gordon Oliver, and Elsa Lanchester is in this one. Um, this this is just a really, really good – it's almost like a – I wouldn't call it a proto-slasher because you're not getting – you know, slashing scenes or anything like that. But uh, you had one the, pretty I thought was a pretty yeah, daring one. The where yeah. the girl gets killed in the basement. I thought that was a little ahead of its time. Yeah, but you don't really see anything, you know? Yeah, but that's that's part of the charm of it, I think. Yep. And mm-hmm. and it was very suspenseful. I love the look and the feel of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um the visuals are are phenomenal. This is just a this is a classic movie that just doesn't get enough love. I think, uh, what do you think, Vin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with all everything that you guys have said. Uh, you know, it's it, the opening kill is yeah. pretty shocking for the time yep. period. And I love how it's intercut with, you know, they're basically watching a silent film <laughs> downstairs, you know, in like this lobby and there's a murder happening above them. Um, and it's kind of neat the way that, you know, we we deal with uh, silence and because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think was she was she deaf? Is it's been it's been a couple she's, years she's, now since I've seen she's, it. She's mute. I don't know if she was deaf. She's she mute. Was mute. Okay. She's just mute. Yeah. Mute. Okay. Um, but it's interesting. She's watching a silent film. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what she's enjoying. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's you know, it, it, there's some nice tense moments in there, um, and you know, it's you don't want to look at it all as though like it's, it's tempting to look at these films in the lens of what came after. (laughs) So we immediately think of slashers, you know? Uh, And of course it's not what they were going for, but you can't help but think in that way because it feels so modern at times. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't feel like you're watching a movie from the 1940s uh, in many scenes. Um, It feels like this is something that's maybe 20, 30 years later. Uh, But yeah, very, very good film. Yeah, I mean, maybe more like like Psycho or you know, yeah, it's like nineteen sixties or something. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminded me of Hush a little bit, um, in mm-hmm. the way that you know she's okay, so she's mute, so she can't speak. So it's just that idea of having to deal with this these treacherous situations without all of your you're missing one of your senses, you know. And her, her performance was 
un, a freaking amazing. Her, her whole acting was done by emoting. Yep. And uh, the old lady, Barrymore, she won an Academy Award for her role. I think that Dorothy McGuire should have got it. Um, but hey, yeah. you know, um, this was so good. There's so many red herrings. But I think even if you've seen it once, it's definitely rewatchable. Yeah. So. And you know what? what's cool? I mean, I don't know. This is probably, I'm speaking out of turn here probably, but is this the first movie with like POV shots from the killer? I mean, I I can't answer that. I don't know, but uh, it's 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 another thing that makes you think of <laughs> those films yeah. that came later. Yeah, but just get that that you know stalker thing. There's a mystery going on. I mean, it's it's a it's kind of like a an old dark house type thing. It's it's set in one location in this big mansion, but it's not necessarily dark or gloomy. It's a nice house. There's there's it's storming. Yeah. <laughs> you know, almost the mm-hmm. entire dang on movie. It's yeah. good music. It's got tons of atmosphere. Shots. Yeah, mm-hmm. the atmosphere is great. The um the the cinematography and the lighting in the movie is spectacular. This is this is one of my favorites on this entire list. I on agree. This entire it, list. it also took on the subject of handicap, which I think mm-hmm. also was probably an underrepresented uh population at the time. I mean you had I don't when did freaks come out? I don't know. I'm not saying that she's like thirty two. Yeah. yeah, I'm not saying it's she's quite to that level, but just the fact that it's, I'm sure there was still a certain stigma at that time. I mean, she kind of took a very reclusive job, at, and, you know, and was very introverted. And I think there was still a stigma on people with handicaps. They were hidden away and, you know, were only seen as, you know, good for certain things. And the fact that this was the population that the killer was going after, that seemed pretty progressive. Well, I, th- I think it's interesting that it's a period piece, yeah. you know, made in the '40s, but it takes place in I think the 19 teens or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Um, so that's that's also kind of a, a really cool dimension, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I would say this to our listeners, especially if I don't know if you're into the horror genre, but you really haven't done a deep dive to a lot of you know the older movies, the the film noir um, subgenre you know, in, in the forties, fifties, even into the sixties, uh, is such an untapped. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know yeah. Vin and I discussed possibly doing like horror cast presents film noir, like a different, like a side cast and, and, and doing these, mm-hmm. uh, because th- they're, they're linked to, yeah to the horror genre. It's a subgenre, but you know, it, it's more based on the mystery. And uh, yeah. man, this is just you about. Know, if you want to start, the, the if, you, if you want to start down, if you want to start down the, the rabbit hole of film noir, start with this one. That's what. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Van. What were you saying? I'm just saying the whole idea of film noir. That's not something that they said in the 40s. That's something no. that they. That's a. That's something that was put on them later on. Uh, you know, they they were still basically considered a part of the same genre. Um, yep. Throughout the 1940s. Yeah, we're the ones that separated. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. You know what's good about these two, if you like have a husband or a wife who's like maybe not that into horror, this is something you could put on and you'd both get something out of it. You know, it's just got enough of that thriller and mystery and a little bit just a touch of horror. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, sir. And ma'am. <laughs> All right. We spent a lot of time on Spiral Staircase. So we're going to move on. 1946. I know Vin's seen this one. Uh, this is a movie called Shock, 
right? You've seen this one, right? Yeah, I brought this up on a roundtable. Yeah, that's what I remember. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we um, decided to add it. Uh, directed by Alfred yeah. L. Worker. Um, in this thriller, psychiatrist Dr. Cross, played by Vincent Price, kills his wife and expects to get away with murder until he discovers that the slaying was observed by a next-door neighbor, Janet Stewart. As Janet attempts to convince her husband of the doctor's dastardly deed, Cross shows up to advise him that Janet is in dire need of some in-depth counseling. So you got Vincent Price, Lynn Barry, uh, Frank Lattimore, Annabelle Shaw, uh, Stephen Dunn, Renee Carson. And I think that's all I can. John Davidson sounds familiar. Charles Tannen. That sounds familiar. So, um, yeah, this this is we brought this up when we were talking about gaslighting or something, right? Like, because he was trying to convince, or maybe that was something else. Maybe that. Yeah, was but that's, that is kind of what he's doing to her. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely gaslighting going on here. Yeah, but this was yeah. uh, this is a good Vincent Price film that gets overlooked by you know a lot of the other things that he did. Well, it's a very different Vincent Price and almost seems like he's playing playing it straight, almost like playing like a leading man kind of mm-hmm. very different or what he, from what he evolved into into later years. Do you notice how almost every single one of these movies has a doctor in it? Were those like the most evil people <laughs> that there were? That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, that's I mean, I, one of the things I brought up uh, when I, we did the roundtable is that this film cause a lot of controversy um mm-hmm. you know i mean it's it's a fairly it's it's a low budget film you know and th- there's parts of the plot they're kind of absurd this girl goes into shock from seeing something that she shouldn't have gone into shock over uh mm-hmm. but you know i mean that, that part well, women are delicate um, man, you know, know oh yes <laughs> little flowers i know <laughs> but um you know it, this is one that uh was criticized, especially by the New York papers, um, for sowing mistrust of psychiatrists at a time when so many men were coming home from the war and would have needed professional oh. mental health. So uh, this this film was kind of lambasted for that, saying that you're you're basically doing a disservice to the country. Um, and this is one of the things that you know there was kind of a little of a blowback against horror. Um, because so much horror had to do with like mad scientists and all this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, it, this is where you start seeing that more of that transition in noir. Um, mm-hmm. And you also see like women go from being like independent monsters, you know, <laughs> and like that to some start being weak women again. And uh, we start seeing that in the 19, 1940s, um, late, late 1940s again. Um, yep. So this is kind of a transition film. Yep. They weren't always like politically correct. I mean, he actually uses verbiage like she's a mental case, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> I guess 1946, they weren't really worried about being politically correct. I don't think, I don't think that no. term had kind of made it in no. society yet. So. And uh, every and all the doctors were chain smokers in that movie, too. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. The doctor in, in the old-time movies are chain smokers while, yeah. while they're performing surgery. Yes. Ridiculous. Yes. All right. Next, uh, 1947, The Red House. Vin, was this yours? Yeah. I think, yeah, uh, uh, directed by Delmer Daves. Um, this stars the great Edward G. Robinson, Lon McAllister, Judith Anderson, Rory Calhoun, and Julie London. 
Uh, an old man and his sister are concealing a terrible secret from their adopted teen daughter concerning a hidden abandoned farmhouse located deep in the woods. Um, I mean, this is this is just kind of a well-made thriller. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, as we had just mentioned that, you know, after the war, uh, horror that we usually kind of consider it wasn't really in vogue uh, in the late 40s. So we transitioned to noir and also to thriller type films. Um, and so this is one of them. I mean, you know, Edward G. Robinson, he's you know, obviously a, a well-known actor. Um, there's kind of this mystery of what happened in the Red House and can we go there? And it's, it's, more, of a, it's more of a crime thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's got, it's got some tensions, it's got darkness. Uh, we're dealing with, um, you know, uh, an individual with unstable mental health and potentially murderous. Um, so, you know, it's, if, if you like kind of crime thriller drama, dramas, that sort of thing, um, I think this is a pretty good choice and it's, it's filmed very well too. Yeah. This is a psychological thriller. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think that belongs in the horror wheel- wheelhouse. Right. I really do. Because, you know, I think Silence of the Lambs is a psychological thriller. I don't think it's a straight-up horror. But anyway, so that's The Red House, 1947. Let's move on to 1948 and The Creeper, uh, directed by Jean Yarborough, or Jean Yarborough. We already saw uh, that person on the list again. Um, Dr. Morgan and Dr. Kavegni star as a brace of science. What? I said, see doctors. Yeah, more yeah. doctors. They star as brace of scientists who return from the West Indies with a poignant, oh, I'm sorry, with a potent phosphorescent, what? What? Phos, a phosphorescent serum. Let me, I'm going to start again. Dr. Morgan and Dr. Kavigny star as a brace of scientists who return from the West Indies with a potent phosphorescent serum that allegedly changes human beings into cats. Yes. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> How did I miss this one? I know. I didn't watch this one, but. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lamenting the fact. Sounds now. interesting. <laughs> yes. Uh, it stars Eduardo Cialini, Onslow Stevens, June Vincent, Ralph Morgan, Janice Wilson. Um, yeah, I picked this because I know I had seen it uh, quite a while ago, and I enjoyed it. But I haven't seen it lately. But I thought that it was uh, definitely something that I don't think most people have heard of. Um, it's a little, it's a little low budget, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. People, come on, the creeper. All right, nineteen forty nine. We almost replaced this one, but Vin said no. <laughs> We're keeping this one. 1949, The Queen of Spades, directed by Thorold Dickinson, uh, stars Adolf Woolbrick, Edith Evans, Yvonne Mitchell. Where do I where do I know that name from? Yvonne Mitchell. Oh, Yvonne Mitchell makes me think of. I know that Ronald Howard, and that's not the one you're thinking of. I don't think. Is it? Yvonne no. Mitchell. Uh, an elderly countess strikes a bargain with the devil and exchanges her soul for the ability to always win at cards. An army officer who is also a fanatic about cards murders her for the secret, then finds himself haunted by the woman's spirit. Um, yeah, I thought this was an interesting film. Um, straight up hard, no, but again, more of a thriller. Uh, what do you think, Vin? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, this is considered one of the best British horror films ever made. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it was actually considered lost for a while. Uh, they didn't know they didn't have a copy. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, this is an adaptation of uh, Russian literature. Um, and it's mostly a historical drama. Uh, however, especially in the third act, you start getting some supernatural horror. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's not heavy. You know, it's more like a, it's almost more like fantasy <laughs> in certain yeah. ways that it's presented. Um, but I love that. I love the dark supernatural elements. And, uh, you know, the acting is great. Um, the w- place, the woman who plays the old woman is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, there's some, there's some dark moments in the film. Uh, but I just think that overall, this is a very, very good film. Yeah, very well made. Yep. Not, I don't think it's going to scare you. But if you're looking for uh, 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 a well-made film, but if you're a film lover, I think yes, yeah. yeah, and I think that's a lot of a lot of these. I mean, I think I think the three of us, at least, you know, we're film lovers. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not just horror, but just film in general. And as you go back and you look, and we're trying to put together a list, you know, you, you tend to. I'd rather put a movie that's not all out horror on the list that's a, a very well-made mm-hmm. you know thriller psychological thriller you know hints of the supernatural i, mean, I i'm just saying i i want you to go back and watch a movie and enjoy it uh, whether it's you know balls to the wall horror or not so all right well that's the 1940s guys only two decades to go <laughs> all right. uh for the first half that's right it so, right along. Yeah. No, it wasn't long. We're going to move right along here. So we are going to pick a winner for a giveaway, and it's going to be mm, Scott Crawford. Yay. Scott Crawford, you have won a beautiful Blu-ray copy of Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. I, I'm sorry, Scott. Oh, you be quiet, Tammy. <laughs> what are you talking about, Tammy? Don't stop poo-pooing all my giveaways. I just spill your beans, Tammy. <laughs> you farts, Tammy. You farts. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to uh, pause and do a little uh, blast from the past from the horror cast. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll Come start on. out. Yeah, I was going to say Susan. <laughs> Susan's like, Susan's like three got, out of you, ten. You guys, you got to keep me away from the rest of this box of Girl Scout Thin Mint cookies. Just, oh. just, just, you know, this is Frankenstein night. Just eat it all. Eat it all. I know. I, and they're it's like, good. They're, they're black and green box and whatever. I'm in. Um, okay. So, I, you know, I'm sorry. It's going to happen. I absolutely love Frankenstein with all of my heart. This is 10 out of 10 glistening rhinestone badass rock and roll skulls out of 10 for me and and plus one really bad dummy thrown off of a cliff. All right, we're back and we're getting into the 1950s. The 1950s, guys. Uh this movie uh is actually again it's our list. We can do whatever the heck we want to do. Um, it was released in the United States and Britain in 1949, like near the end of 1949. But pretty much the rest of the world had to wait until the f- 1950 to get this movie. So 
I think it qualifies for 1950, right? All right. I don't care what you think. It's called The Window. Uh, It's directed by Ted uh, Tetzleff. It stars a young Bobby Driscoll, Barbara Hale, Arthur Kennedy, Paul Stewart, um, an imaginative boy who frequently makes things up, witnesses a murder, but can't get his parents or the police to believe him. The only people taking him seriously are the killers who live upstairs, know that he saw what they did and are out to permanently silence him. Yeah, this this is a great movie. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of Rear Window, you know, Disturbia, all mm-hmm. those kinds of films where somebody sees something and nobody believes them. Um, you know, th- this is kind of of a precursor to it. So uh, I like the I like the black and white uh, filming of it. Uh, I like the performances. The young the young boy, uh, Bobby Driscoll plays Tommy. Thought it was a really good job. I think it was a really good job, and uh, I would recommend this one highly. But uh, I think it is pretty hard to find. I might, I might have thrown it up on my Plex. I think I finally found it and threw it up on Plex. So, 1950, The Window. Has anybody else seen this one? No, no. but I like those kind of movies too. So, yeah, I'm get on it. Get on it. It's, it's, uh, you know, so. it's, it's not anywhere near as um, good as Rear Window. But you can see, like, maybe this was possibly an inspiration Mm -hmm. uh, for that movie. So, all right. Moving on to 1951 and uh, our favorite of this, right? (laughs) This is the Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man. um, (laughs) Directed by Charles Lamont. Uh, starring Bud Abbott, Lou Costello, Nancy Guild, Arthur Franz, Sheldon Leonard. William Frawley. That's right. Uh, if you don't know who William Frawley is, that is uh, Fred Mertz from the I Love Lucy show. Uh, boxer Tommy Nelson is accused of killing his manager. While detectives Bud and Lou investigate, they come across an invisibility formula with which Tommy injects himself rather than face the police. This sparks an idea for trapping gangster Morgan by having Lou fight champ Rocky Hanlon with Tommy's invisible help. Okay. I picked this one because I, I love Abbott and Costello. Do, do you guys not like Abbott and Costello? No, I like them. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. They're fine. Uh, when we get to Depends 1953, on the movie. <laughs> 1953, you're really going to let me have it with the comedy yeah. team. But, you know, I think Abbott and Costello usually get uh, more press for um what's the um what's the other one they they did they did a a few of these the frankenstein one that's the one that gets most and and people just kind of overlick this over overlick they don't (laughs) they don't overlick it but they they overlook this one and and while this is not a um a horror movie by any stretch of the imagination this is a it's kind of like a a little bit of a mystery crime gangster type movie. And, uh, but I thought, I thought it's funny in some spots. And I thought that they did a pretty good job with the invisibility, uh, trick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Except for the very end, there are some really horrible special effects 
at the end of this bad boy. Okay. But, uh, and I, and I think it was pretty funny in certain parts and the part where Lou is in the ring fighting the, uh, (laughs) the champ is, is pretty funny. I, I think it's funny. So, and, and again, I picked, I picked this because 1951, there was literally next to nothing. Um, horror movies that came out literally next to nothing. I was like, no, 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 either that, or there was a couple movies that I was, and I couldn't find them, couldn't find them anywhere. So in all fairness though, I mean, we didn't say like hidden horror movie gems. We just said hidden gems, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, uh, come on. If the, if it, if they're in the invisible man, it's part of the, you know, it's a universal monster technically. Yeah. yeah, um, even though he's not really the villain. Yeah, uh, no, he's not. It is better. I mean, I think I did. I did also watch at one point uh, the one that came after this, which was Abigail Still Meet Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and that mm-hmm. one's awful. That's a really bad movie. So this one is definitely one of the better. Yes, <laughs> they they were still they were still decent at this point for uh, yes. for their comedy. All right, 1952 is one directed by Joseph Pevney. It's called The Strange Door. I know uh, Tammy didn't like this one. I gave up. Well, in all fairness, I gave up after like 10 minutes. Oh, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have. You uh, always the, say that the wicked, the wicked Alan plots an elaborate revenge against his younger brother, Edmund, leading to a deadly confrontation in his dungeon death trap. Uh, this <laughs> stars Charles Lawton. who's really good in this movie. Uh, Boris Karloff is in this movie. Sally Forrest, Richard Weiler, William Cottrell, and Alan Napier. And, uh, you know, this is, this is based on a pretty old um, book or story by Robert Louis Stevenson. Oh. And um, while it's not necessarily straight up horror, it's, it's, it's like a revenge tale that, that he's, he's upset that his brother married the woman that he loved and then she's died. And so he's taken his brother and trapped him in the dungeon or left him in the dungeon and kind of tortures him and makes him, you know, um, feel horrible. And it's about, uh, you know, Boris Karloff being one of the servants and kind of helps this guy make an escape. And Charles Lawton is just, he is a horrible person in this movie. He's flamboyant. Um, he's like, you know, he's like real big and fat and he, and he's like laughing and, and, and it's a period piece cause they're all in these like Victorian error, like you know, get ups and he just kind of looks, um, like, like somebody like fat sitting there, like eating, mm-hmm. eating, uh, like a Turkey leg with like mm-hmm. stuff all over his face, but he's, he's a horrible person. And I, I thought it was, a. Uh, a good film. I like these kind of films. I like, um, um, you know, it was a mystery. Like what was going to happen? Was he going to escape? You know? So I, I say that, uh, you should watch it and you should give it another, uh, another chance. Okay. <laughs> and, and it's neat because Boris Karloff is not like a villain. You know, he's not a villain. He's not a monster. He's actually kind of the hero. Mm-hmm. in this story so it's kind of neat all right moving on to 1953 and you guys your favorite that i picked and that is scared stiff directed by george marshall and this stars dean martin and jerry lewis 
Um, also stars Carmen Miranda, Elizabeth Scott, George Dolans, Dorothy Malone, William Chang, Paul Marion. Um, a, nightclub, a nightclub singer and his partner escape mobsters by fleeing to Cuba with a beautiful heiress who has inherited a haunted castle on an isolated island. The trio hunt for a hidden treasure and encounter a ghost, a zombie, and a mysterious killer. All right. Why do you not like Jerry Lewis? Nice lady. Oh, oh my God. That's it right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Did you watch this one, Tammy? Nope. Oh, man. I know I promised you. You said you were going to take one for the team. I did. Shame on, I'm, shame I'm on you. I'm a terrible teammate. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this was by far the worst viewing experience I've had all year. Oh, uh, come I, on. I hated this movie. I hated it. Uh, I Jerry Lewis, he... Like I, I, I was texting you guys about this. Like I've never wanted to punch somebody so hard in my life. Um, it, it was none of it was funny for me. Uh, I mean, this is this movie is essentially a it's a remake of Ghostbreakers. Um, I think it's actually the same director. Uh, and that movie, you know, with Bob Hope, it, it worked. Um, that's a, that's a pretty good movie still. Uh, and this one is just like. The only parts that almost work in this movie are directly from Ghostbreakers, and then everything else, it's like. You know, did, did we need a dance routine with Carmen Miranda about enchiladas? Yes, Are you kidding did. me? This yes, is we did. This is the that's dumbest a, thing I've ever that's seen. That's what that's. It's a yeah. mix. It's a mix of like the horror or the, the whatever the haunted house thing. Mix. He's it the is horror. A terrible and, mix. <laughs> and that's that's what they did. A song and dance thing. Oh I mean, God. come on. Was, no, yeah, no. I think Carmen Miranda's irritating too. Uh, I mean, well, this, how this about was Jerry Lewis dressed up like Carmen Miranda? Okay, and he was such a huge star. What was the appeal? I don't know. Apparently, the French liked him too. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Oh, my I watched God. Jerry Lewis movies nonstop when I was a kid. Nonstop, man! I loved the Geisha Boy. Um, God, there is some Hollywood bust. <laughs> Who's minding the store and the nutty professor? Yes, is good. Okay, that one. Mm, okay, there, and his, this, te- his telethons were okay. I will. I will say this: that this one, he was a little annoying. A little. <laughs> a little. <laughs> a little more so than me. you found him annoying. Oh in this gosh. <laughs> I love I love Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. So, uh, well, so I'm did millions and millions of other people. I guess I just don't get it. Yeah, no, and I either. thought and I thought the little haunted house stuff at the end was funny. It worked for me. Done better in Ghostbreakers, but okay, okay, bunch of poop heads. Nineteen fifty four, Phantom of the Rue Morgue, directed by Roy Del Ruth. Um, Carl Malden is in this bad boy. Uh, his nose is a is a co-star. Uh, Claude <laughs> Dauphin, Patricia Medina, Steve Forrest, uh, Anthony Caruso, and Merv Griffin makes an appearance. Um, I enjoy Carl Malden. He's a good actor. I like um, him, yeah. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, he doesn't give bad performances. Uh, it, it, it's, again, more of a mystery type thing, not straight up horror. I'm looking at movies 
in the 1950s and not seeing much that I really hadn't heard of or I didn't think anybody um, listening wouldn't have heard of. So this is what you get. <laughs> of the Rue Morgue. It's like a um, punishment. And, and it, <laughs> no, it's not a punishment. It's not bad. It's not bad. It. If I couldn't have found one that wasn't decent, I just would have said we're skipping this year. Uh, there's there's a there's a few pretty good scenes in this movie. I mean, the title is combining Phantom of the Opera and Murders in the Room Morgue. Mm-hmm. Does the movie have anything to do with either of those things? No. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think this was also made for 3D. Um, so you get a little bit of that, you know, some gimmicks, mm-hmm. gimmick shots, mostly of like these circus performers and that's coming right at you. And, and it's the uh, same year as uh, House of Wax, right? I think that was also 53. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, don't, I would say that that it's a decent film, few fun scenes. It, it, it's, it's a little slow moving, but I kind of, I thought it was, uh, it was worthy. It was worthy, at least uh, to be on the list. So there you go. Uh, 1955. This is a different movie. Did you guys see this one? Did you watch it? Dementia? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I watched this one. What did you think no, about I, it? I did not. I thought it was uh, interesting. Well, let me say, let me say first. It was directed by John Parker, uh, Adrian Barrett, uh, Bruno Vasada, Ben Roseman, um, shot entirely without dialogue and filled yeah. with suggestive violence and psychosexual imagery. It's like a Skid Row expressionist thriller following the nocturnal prowlings of a young woman haunted by homicidal guilt. Uh, and I picked this one because I really hadn't heard much about it. Uh, and, and I think that um, uh, it was interesting. It's only about 55 minutes long. There's there's basically no dialogue in it. Uh, it's got a good black and white um, filmmaking. Uh, it's got good uh, sound effects and, and score. And it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a, a delve into the psyche of this woman who's, um, she's definitely got some mental issues. It's super Freudian. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's Is like, it like it's repulsive? like, uh, not exactly. It's more, it's more like nightmare, you know, yeah. logic, um, that occurs. It's, it is kind of surreal. Um, it's, I, I guess that the, the one that played the main character, um, she was the director's secretary. And mm-hmm. she had told him about a nightmare that she had. And he said, hey, let's film it. And he, that's how this all started. Um, uh, but th- this is also the movie that they're watching in the blob in the theater. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's interesting. You, know, it's, you, you have to be patient with it because you never know what's going on sometimes. But it's like kind of like, you know, like when you're dreaming, you know, uh, <laughs> in your dream, the setting will transition. Mm-hmm. But because you're not thinking logically, you don't even notice it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that. Like she just gets pulled into a new scene sometimes and she's like, Oh, here I am now. And I'm wearing a dress, you know, and it, there's this kind of thing that's going on. So it's very dreamlike in that way. And they go into like, you know, her daddy issues and, um, and it's all told, you know, in this very, very stylized way. It's, it's a really interesting film. I mean, I liked mm-hmm. it overall. It's not gonna, you know, it, it's, I, I, I don't, I don't know if it's gonna, you know, blow you away. Had, had you heard of it before I mentioned it? Uh, yeah, I, I had. I think I had read about it in 
I don't know, some book that I was reading. Yeah. Um, so I had read stuff about it, and I had always, like, I would kind of, like, wrote it down one time. Like, you know, I got to check that one out, and I just never got around to it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm glad that I did. I'm glad that I saw it. Um, it's definitely an interesting film. It's very artsy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and it's. it also was, like, I think it was banned when it first came out in the city. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking, then, 1955, it was, it was very artsy, very yeah. uh, art house. You know, yeah. and that's what I liked about it. It was it was something mm-hmm. I can imagine being in 1955 in the movie theater, and you know, I just came from seeing Dagon Phantom of the Rue Morgue. Yeah, <laughs> and and then and this bad boy comes on. Yeah. It's 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 violent. It's it's. I was just gonna say, psychos- what did it get banned for? Psychosexual imagery. Uh, yeah, it's got a lot of. I don't know if there was a particular thing, but yeah. I know that they considered it like they called it gruesome and yeah. Um, but yeah, it was yeah. you know it, it's it's tame it's tame by today's standards. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's it's still cool, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the stuff they they pull out of there. Yeah, and another a, a neat thing is um, two people. There is one voice in this movie, and it's Ed McMahon. Really? Oh, did you watch that? Ver- yeah, there's there's two different versions of the film. Uh-huh. So when it was first released, there was no dialogue at all. And okay, then yeah. when it was released in 1957 as Daughter of Horror or something. Daughter or, of Horror, yeah. Yeah, that's the one that had Ed McMahon on it. So the original release had absolutely no dialogue. Yep. The re-release had Ed McMahon, like yeah. narrating or something. I didn't see the Ed McMahon one. And then one of the nightclub people uh, is Aaron Spelling. Really? <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm kind of compelled to watch this now. It's only it's 55. It's only 55 minutes. Okay, it, it's, I it's might not, give that one a watch. No. Yeah, she wears like the ugliest piece of jewelry, and I don't quite understand why they made it a focal point. But yeah, other than that, it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, it, like I said, it's very, very interesting. Um, number f- uh, 1956. This is the uh, the decade of the horror comedy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I picked this one. I'm sorry, guys. It's called Francis and the Haunted House. Um, did anybody get to watch it? No, I, I really tried to, had to hold myself back. You know? oh, shame <laughs> on you guys. I picked this because it it reminds me of my childhood. Yeah. I um, this is Francis the Talking Mule. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is starring Mickey Rooney. He was one of my favorite uh, actors from when he was younger. Uh, Virginia Wells, James Flavin, uh, Timothy Carey, and um, uh, Paul Freeze is the voice of Francis, the talking mule. Um, Among many, many, many other things. Yes. That's the haunted mansion guy that I was talking about before, yeah. I mean, he's, he's in all kinds of stuff. Some like it hot, Mary Poppins, the thing from another world. Uh, tons of stuff um but uh this is it just reminds me of my childhood because i used to on saturday mornings a lot of times like the only channels we could get were like i mean this is not going to make any sense to anybody outside where i grew up but like channel 45 or channel 50 and they were they were barely coming through and i had the rabbit ears up or whatever this is how this is how I lived. Okay, this was the this was the early eighties people. Uh, we didn't. For me, have it was cable. Channel Forty Four. I get you. 
Yeah. And, and Francis, the talking mule movies would come on, uh, blondine Dagwood movies. Remember those? Mm-hmm. Um, Ma and Paul kettle, <laughs> yeah. you know, all those movies. And I, I just, I loved them. I, I watched them. They were funny. Uh, and, and this is just one that I remember. Uh, I enjoyed it. You know, it's basically a mystery. Uh, Francis w- witnesses a murder, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And then they have to track down, whatever. Come on, people. And this was the final Francis movie. So maybe it didn't do too well. Um, but anyway, I thought it was, uh, it was good. It was good. It's, it's fun. Uh, this is weird because Mickey Rooney, this is only, this is his only Francis, the talking mule movie. Cause it used to be Donald O'Connor. He would do them all. So he he took over, and then Paul Freese wasn't the the original voice of Francis. That was uh, Chill Willis. So, you know, maybe they just tried to pump one more out and didn't do too well. But I enjoyed it. Like I said, it's, it's um, from my childhood. So there you go. We'll go from the last uh, uh, horror comedy of the decade into – uh, one of the better ones of the decade here, and mm-hmm. that is Night of the Demon, also known as Curse of the Demon, mm-hmm. directed by Jacques Tourneau, uh, Dana Andrews, Peggy Cummings, um, Athene Sealer, Liam Redman, Peter Elliott, Ewan Roberts. American professor John Holden arrives in London for a conference on parapsychology, only to discover that the colleague he was supposed to meet was killed in a freak accident the day before. It turns out that the deceased had been investigating a cult led by Dr. Julian Carswell. Uh, Though a skeptic, Holden is suspicious of the devil worshiping Carswell. Following a trail of mysterious manuscripts, Holden enters a world that makes him question his faith in science. Now, I will say this. This is probably the most well-known movie in this section, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, but the reason I included it is because even though it's more well-known, I don't think it gets the love that it really deserves. I I never hear it, like, mentioned uh, as a great film, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And this has got a little bit of everything, man. This has got Mm -hmm. witchcraft and uh, seances and hypnotism and... Uh, it's got a really, really cool, uh, practical, of course it was practical as it was 1957, but that demon at the end was cool, man. Yeah. They could have cool. used them some Harryhausen. Uh, I thought it was okay. I mean, he was, and he's coming down it wasn't the track, but initially they didn't, they weren't going to put it in there. And then like, you know, I think, the- I think it works. I really do. It would definitely fact, works. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies of all of them that we're going to cover. Yeah. It's just, yeah. 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 So, and it's got a little bit of a mystery in there. Uh, you know, dealing with this kind of subject in 1957, you know, devil worship and uh, witchcraft and all that, it was kind of taboo, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um this one is is one that you might have heard of, and you just never really gave a chance, you know, because that's eh, an old nineteen fifties movie. I'm not going to give that a chance. Give it a chance. It's it's. I think it's a little more um, sophisticated 
Yes. Than most of the other stuff that was coming out at the time. So oh, I've only, because, I, I know it as Curse of the Demon, which I guess is the 83-minute version. There's a 95-minute mm. version that's Night of the Demon, which I'm yeah. not sure that I've seen, but I've seen Curse of the Demon several times. Yeah, because, I mean, again, we, we've talked about some of these other movies that are coming out uh, you know, throughout the fifties. And this is also the heyday of all the, you know, starting to get into the giant monster movies and you're starting mm-hmm. to get into, you know, uh, giant insects them and yeah. all of that, which are all good, but this one just takes a little bit more of a sinister subject matter. And I think it's really, really good. It's really good. Really well done. What do you think, Vin? Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, like so long that I'm having, you know, I, I need to rewatch it again to mm-hmm. really remember. Um, but I mean, it, it is, I think, based on a really famous M.R. James story called The Casting of the Runes. Mm-hmm. Um, so okay. this would have been a very, very well known, uh, movie for the British public. Uh, yeah, I mean, a very well known story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I only remember the guy dressed as a clown. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember the demon coming down the train tracks. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, it's something that I have to go back to again because um, it's just I, I was hoping to rewatch it before we we recorded, but I just didn't get a chance to. Uh, but I do plan to return to it again. Yeah, uh, I love this movie. My only beef is I wish I would have gotten more cult um, out of it, which maybe that's the 15 minutes that are mm-hmm. cut out. Because I want to know more about Julian Carswell and that actor that played him had that pointy beard and that mm-hmm. Satan hair and everything. He was Satan just, hair. Yeah. You know, just that even you look like you, you like a kid thinks Satan would look like, you know? Yeah. Uh, he just did such a good job. I love the story. Like, I think I need to read that book. Yeah. I just think it's just a cool premise and it's just such a good movie. This is one of my favorites. All right. Very good, very good. Do I make up for Scared Stiff? Yep. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, 1958. This is one I'd never heard of. Um, Had you guys heard of Curse of the Faceless Man? No, but I'm glad I had to watch it. Yeah, Yeah. same. Mm -hmm. Curse of the Faceless Man, 1958, uh, directed by Edward L. Kahn. uh, Starred Richard Anderson, Elaine Edwards, uh, Adele Mara. And basically, a stone-encrusted body is unearthed at Pompeii, uh, which is, you know, that's where the the big uh, eruption of, was it Mount um, Vesuvius? Uh, yeah. So I guess somebody got encased there, and uh, uh, they find it, and anybody left alone with it keeps dying <laughs> of crushed skulls. Um, yeah, I, I uh, had seen this. A long time ago, I believe it was probably, again, like a Saturday morning type thing. I don't remember much about it, but I remember the the faceless man, what it looked like. So I had to go back and, and rewatch this uh, to make sure that it, you know, was okay for the hidden gems. And I was impressed. I thought it was good. I thought, um, you know, I, uh, I thought it was a good monster it yeah, was, that um, costume was right on though so i don't know what it was made out of but it translated into black and white it really looked like someone made out of 
hardened volcanic volcanic ash. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The way he, the way it moved. Yep. yep. Everything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's probably paper mache, but still, it, it was. Probably, like, yeah, it was probably like five yeah. bucks to make the thing, but it really worked. You didn't really see the seams, you know. No. It, was, it was pretty good. Yep. And, and uh, I like the uh, I like the whole past life. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it kind of reminded me of like the mummy. I was um, just going to say that it's almost like a retelling yeah. of the mummy where he's coming back to get, you know. Yeah. You know, of course, this is this had to have been like some sort of a. That an inspiration, like the mummy, was yeah, an inspiration sure. for yeah. this. Like, how can we, how can we use the mummy narrative, you know, and and have it kind of seem fresh and new? Yeah. There's definitely so, some similarities in the story structure and everything else. Mm-hmm. The whole but Pompeii I, incident is a horrifying thing. I mean, it's just ripe to make a, a horror movie out of. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, people were just like. One is like the extinction of the dinosaurs. It's like you know, one minute they were there, and the next minute they were all gone, and yeah, in perpetuity, you know, exactly what, however they were when it happened, and yeah. So there'd be a lot of um, what unfinished business with these people. Yeah. A lot of stories you could do with that. It's just really cool. It was nice to see a horror film kind of draw on ancient Rome yeah. rather than so many of the other things that we usually see. Um, Quintilius Aurelius. Like <laughs> <laughs> right? That was his name, right? I think so. Yeah, it says Aurelius yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 So definitely would uh, would recommend this one, especially if you like kind of those schlocky drive-in. This seems like a movie that we would do on Horror Case Drive-In. You know, this is yeah. probably one of the truest hidden, like a real hidden gem. Like mm-hmm. this needs to be seen. Like, I've it's, never heard of this before. Yeah. You expect it to be schlockier than it is. Yes. It's not mm-hmm. overly schlocky. It's, mm-hmm. they, you know, it's kind of ridiculous on the surface, but they, they handle it really well. Yep. Yeah. So. And it's super short. Now, what did you guys think of the narration? I thought that was, it was a little weird. I, I think that was, uh, there were some movies we were watching for the last horror case drive in. Some of them had narration. Yeah, it's just the thing they do, man. It's yeah. like, felt like the audience, audience needed to be had their handheld. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> through these kind of things. That or maybe they just I mean you kinda need to get the concept of Pompeii to understand the movie. Maybe that's yeah. just to kind of make sure that you knew yeah, give a recap. what this was based on. I, I do think that they did feel like people didn't want to have to figure things out. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where, where if you, I was thinking this would be a really good thing to remake mm-hmm. and it, and then you could really, you know, let people, you just get the story from the, the visual and from, you know, instead of having a narrator. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, well, I, mean, yeah. I think also these kind of films, I think they were the, the intended audience was younger. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I think Night yeah. of the Demon was more of like an adult film, but I mean, I think a lot of these kind of monster, because it, it still follows the monster script, oh, you yeah. know, for the most part. But I think that they, you know, they, they were targeting a younger audience because uh, oh, their parents definitely. were home watching TV. Yeah, so they, most definitely. Getting, if you're 10 years old in 1958 and yeah. you went and saw this, you'd be thinking that this dude was in your closet. Yeah, and you don't have any idea what the hell Pompeii was. So. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> no, my son's about that age, and and he would have he would have no idea what Pompeii yeah. was. Kids were smarter back in 1958. They knew. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, and we're going to end 19 the 50s with uh, 1959, a bucket of blood. 
directed directed by Roger Corman. And this stars the great Dick Miller, Barbara Morris, Anthony Carbone, Julian Burton, Ed Nelson, and um, nerdy Walter Paisley, starring, well, played by Dick Miller, um, a busboy at Beat Nick Cafe who doesn't fit in with the cool scene around him, attempts to woo his beautiful co-worker, Carla, by making a bust of her. Uh, when his klutziness results in the death of his landlady's cat, he panics and hides its body under a layer of plaster. But when Carla and her friends enthuse over the resulting artwork, Walter decides to create some bigger and more elaborate pieces using the same artistic process. What did you guys think of this? Had you seen this before? I own it, but I had never seen it before. This is another one that I saw a long time ago. Uh it's definitely, you know, I saw it at a point where, what you know, the title made me think that I was going to get something very different. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember being kind of put off by what I got. You know, this is, again, this is a long time ago before I would have researched anything beforehand. Um, but I remember liking it. But again, it's it's another one that I'd have to return to, to really appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, again, 1959, we're in the m- middle of all this... Um, you know, either, yeah, but we're looking at all these different kind of movies that, that we've just talked about from the 1950s. And this is more of a, even though there's a little bit of a comedic spin to this, there's a, there's a, you know, um, I mean, the guy's killing people and killing thing and, and putting them in plaster and making artwork out of them. That's pretty morbid. Mm. That's I think this morbid. is a great premise ruined by the whole beatnik thing that yeah. just uh, that that does not age well and i love the swing in 60s you know but the, the, i just think that beatnik just you think you think it was made him too goofy maybe i just can't appreciate it because i cannot relate to it at all and i think the movie was kind of making fun of them a little bit showing how ridiculous you know what they thought was cool and if they were often punchlines mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean you're you're thinking about shaggy right Shaggy was a beatnik, right? Yeah. Yeah, same kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. zoinks, you know that, that kind of thing. But uh, I thought that the subject matter, what was pretty, um, I don't know, just different than other movies that were coming out at the time. And I, I almost got a little bit of uh, Norman Bates. Yes. Yeah. This is Dick another Miller. one that would be. This would be ripe for a remake. Yeah. Know? Um, it's a horrifying concept, what he's doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And you, you know the guy's got mental issues. You but, know, he, so. but he appears as like the only sane one. Mm-hmm. You know, almost. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, a bucket of blood. And, and I think it's... I, I, I picked it because I think it's one of Roger Corman's uh, lesser watched films. I mean, everyone knows... Uh, Roger Corman, but they, they know mm-hmm. him from lots of other stuff, and they, you know, you know, I was thinking if we hadn't just covered it, I might we might have done uh, X, the man with X-ray eyes, but <clears throat> I thought this was uh, hidden as well. So there you I mean, go. there's some bit. Okay, so the tagline for this movie is "You'll be sick, sick, sick from laughing." Okay, which no, you will not. Mm-hmm. But there is some. I mean, this hints at going really dark like look how it ends you know like yep. there's some really dark things 
sick mm-hmm. things happening in this movie that just didn't need that. Yeah. I guess what they thought was a comedy edge to it. Yeah. You know? It reminds me a little bit of, do you remember Taurus Trap? I love Taurus Trap, yes. Yeah. I mean, very similar. I mean, the guy's making yes. mannequins yeah. out of people. And and there is some comedy in that movie. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's a little bit of tongue in cheek there, but yeah. yeah. So maybe that was a you know inspiration. So all right. Well, we're gonna give away something. We're gonna take a uh break here real quick and we're gonna give away um let me see, a Blu-ray for the Belko experiment. If you have not seen that, it's a good movie. Office Space meets Battle Royale. If you have not seen that, why have you not seen that? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Belko Experiment goes to Tim Davis. Tim Davis. Where you go? Thanks for being a good person, Tim Davis. Right, Tim Davis. All right, so we're going to take a... Uh, a little bit of a break and do a blast from the past from the horror cast. We'll be right back. Yeah. I've never wanted to be a vampire until I saw this. And that's what I think is so intriguing to me. Like this one, I love, like I said, I want to be in that world. I would love to be a lost boy in that world, the, where they live, what they do, their cave, uh, the way they, you know, the motorcycle, just, it's so, it's so random, but it's so beautiful the way he put it all together. And like you said, Peter Pan, it, that's what it was built off of. This was originally a Peter Pan story, uh, with Richard Donner. Uh, somehow Joel Schumacher got his, Schumacher got his, his hands on this and you could tell it's a Schumacher film. You could just tell mm-hmm. everything about it is uh, about the look, the design. He was an MTV guy. Don't forget. And you can see that throughout this whole film, but dude, I will throw down any day for my lost boys. <laughs> and what's any funny, day. what's funny is that a few of the statements that you guys are speaking right now, I heard when twilight came out specifically yeah. what you just said, Walshy. I never wanted to be a vampire until I saw the lost boys. Do you know how many adolescent boys and girls I heard say that in the early 2000s? I'm, for two, I'm, in, 2000, I'm in 2018 right now and I want to be a lost boy. <laughs> uh, not so much a spa, uh, what's it called? Uh, a Sparkle. Twilight guy, yeah. Sparkle, Sparkle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, No, sure. these, these, these were monsters. Don't forget, these were monsters. Don't forget the bonfire scene. That's yep. brutal. That's awesome. Instead yep. of biting the neck, he goes through the skull. You know, that's that's eighty stuff right there. That was so great. That's a, such an awesome shot with the the red hue going on and that that big fire and trying to get Michael Michael's fighting himself. Dude, I love it. I just love it. And do I have nostalgia? Absolutely, I have nostalgia. Most movies I love are because of nostalgia. Sure. And that's what my base, my fan, my fan, my love of this genre is because of nostalgia. So I'll always have that for these old, like, that's never going to go away. You know what I mean? Which is fine. Yeah. We we all we all have our own level of nostalgia that we watch old movies with. I think I think and, and you can you can even ask Mark because of our time on Rad Radio. I don't find myself nearly as nostalgic as I thought I would. Like yeah. I still watch these movies that I absolutely loved when they were new, and I watch them now with my 2018 eyes, and I'm like, oh, that wasn't good. Oh, that wasn't good. See, I, I'm a little bit more. Uh, objective now you know i plus when you're 17 you know what do you really know about movie making very little 
you just yeah. know what's in front of your eyes and you know yeah. how it looks if yeah. it's entertaining well, but, blah blah but blah is, but isn't it the beauty part to to suspend disbelief and just let yourself enjoy the ride and not try that, to tear it that's down what I do. Yes. film, let's film go, appreciate yeah. film appreciation in hate. college yeah, film appreciation for me in college, while I loved it, it colored the way that I looked at, at movies. And I try to observe, but yet, and I feel that's kind of my spot in this co-hosting situation is, um, I try to still observe and take in those technical aspects and appreciate them, but I try to do it with very soft shoes, if you know what I mean. Like, I yeah. try to still mm-hmm. stay in the moment and and see where the movie takes me and try to let the movie absorb me and if I get lost in it, um, no pun intended, then I feel like it's 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 worthy well, it's and it's really its good. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I do the exact same thing too, Susan, and that's the problem is that if I if I go into a movie with zero expectations, expecting nothing, and it still disappoints me, how am I supposed to feel? Am I am I supposed to feel like oh I must not have caught something? that these other people saw or there's something wrong with me. It's like, no, I wasn't in her. And, and mind you, I'm talking about on rewatch right now, back in 87, 88, I thought this movie was great. Probably because it was one of the only horror movies. My parents would let me watch in the house anyway. Um, but I'm just saying that on rewatch right now, I'm looking at it with my critic eyes or critical. I'm, I'm not a critic by any stretch, but I'm looking at it with my critical eyes and I am finding things wrong with it. And I feel like it's my duty to our listeners to tell them that, you know, the the movie is going to have its problems. The movie is, you know, maybe the writing might be a little weak. Maybe, you know, whatever, whatever my opinion might be. And yes, it's going to differ from all. It's going to differ from all of you. But what I'm saying is I'm hearing five co-hosts completely stroke the ego of this movie that I see a lot of problems with. So yeah, I but ha- why can't we? Percent. Why can't we just be at at, at odds with it? Why can't uh, our opinion? Why why we're not trying to change your opinion? We're just right. stating our opinion. And exactly. if we love it and you don't, then cool. We love right. it and you don't. Well, what I find so awesome why, about, why, about why is it wrong that we love it? When did I say that? When no, I'm when you're saying when you're saying, but you know, I don't and you guys do. It just kind of came across that way, maybe. But I feel like that, you know, that's the thing. I mean, about movies, everyone has their tastes and their likes and their dislikes and their opinions on things, and that's why there is muck. And um, and, yeah. I would never, I, I would know. never ever disparage someone's opinion on a movie. I don't care if they think. You know, whatever, that the mansion is the greatest movie ever made. That's fine. That's your opinion, and you're entitled to it just as much as anybody else is entitled to their opinion. What I'm saying is I'm not going to allow five people to talk about this movie like it's the greatest vampire movie ever made and just sit here and twiddle my thumbs. Nobody ever said it was the greatest vampire movie ever made. And again, I didn't say anybody said that. Yes, but that's what you just said. You just said that. You said you're not. You You said said all five of us said it. I'm not going to sit here and let five people tell me this is a great vampire movie. But what I'm saying is I don't see... I don't see the problems that you say that you see. Right, that's like, fine. I don't see like weak writing. I don't see no. any problems with cinematography, with score, no. with any of that. No, uh, it's got just the right amount of uh, comedy, levity to me, to horror. 
I don't see a problem with the fact that the vampires have some daggone hair hair gel in their hair. I don't I don't care. Well, I mean, you're minimizing what I am saying too. I'm trying to make a a broader statement about you know youth culture and how they look at vampires. And you guys are minimizing it to their hair because I made a hair statement. Don't try not. Well, try what not I'm saying that. that's that's what I'm saying. It's like because they have good hair or something, or they dress cool, is maybe it's um, you know, they're not as frightening or not as scary. But I think that they they do tear people apart and kill people. Sure. In the movie, it's not like you know, like I said, like Twilight, where they don't kill humans and and Edward looks like he's got to take a poop. Every time he, he I understand. Comes by, I don't know. Listen, you know, like, tearing, just, like tearing the roof off the car and yeah. coming down, and then that not yeah. showing the blood in that particular scene to me, that kind of, you know, had that kind of Halloween esque, not mm-hmm. showing what's happening after that horrific, like ripping the top off the car, was kind of scarier than sh- if they would have shown it to me. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll agree with that. I like the set pieces in this movie. In all honesty, I have yeah, no you said problem. You didn't with, hate the movie, right? I do I, not. I think, I think you just like. I think you just like. I, I would. I wouldn't say more realistic vampires. Because no, well, to is, an extent, I you well, know, but darker real vampires. <laughs> but dark. But dark. Are you seeing vampires don't exist, Jerry? <laughs> but um, you know, I think you like a grittier, darker vampire. You know, well, like, like you said, you mentioned uh, near dark or, or thirty days a night or something, and that that's more your your cup of tea, and that and that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah, okay we'll, because we'll that, that definitely would color that would color your view of this movie. Exactly, you know, because that's it's all I'm I, saying. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm not, all I'm not I'm mad. Saying. Oh, I ain't mad at you, brother. Well, I got uh, four people no. yelling at me. Yeah. No, <laughs> well, that's no. because you said you weren't going to allow us to sit here and say that this was a great movie and we all <laughs> like it. So no, I okay. think that's hey, the thing. As long as, as long as we can all just have our own opinions and and you know, like everybody has their favorites. You know what I mean? So of course, if this is one of Walshy's top five favorite movies of all time, he's going to stroke oh, it because he movie. loves it. And, and there's nothing and, wrong and it, with that at all. And, yeah. So so you know, I mean, but don't say. I think maybe possibly, and I could be wrong. Um, so tell me if I am. But um, I think saying that we're stroking it, I think maybe. It was kind of it brought out a little bit of defensiveness because I don't think any of us here stroke a movie um, unless it's something that we actually really like. We're not just doing it to be doing it. You know, that that wasn't my implication at all. I stroke movies all the time. I mean, if you love something, of course, you're going to talk positively about it. And that's exactly what I would expect from all of you and myself. So I I, and and I'm glad we have a different opinion on here. I, I think it makes for good podcast. All right, we're back, and we are going to finish off this part one of our Hidden Gems episode uh, with the 1960s. And we're going to start with 1960 and Mill of the Stone Women, directed by Giorgio Ferrone. Uh, stars Pierce Bryce, uh, Ske- is it Cecilia, maybe? Gabelle, Danny Carroll, Herbert A. Bohm or Bohem, I'm not sure. Uh, (laughs) um, Hans travels to a Flemish village to study a strange carousel located in an old windmill that displays famous murderesses and other notorious women from history. Uh, Professor Gregorius Wall, owner of the windmill, warns Hans to stay away from his mysterious daughter, Elfie. 
in order to keep Hans from discovering the horrible secret shared by the professor and Elfie's daughter. There you go. Uh, had you guys heard of this one before? Uh, no, I hadn't. Uh, what'd you think about it? Not watch it. Well, shame uh, on you. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I enjoyed this one. I think that this was actually the first color Italian horror film. I think I read that. Um, so yeah, this is the same year that Black Sunday comes. Uh, say, yeah, Black Sunday and everything like that yep. also comes out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it. The movie looks good. Um, this is another one that has some really cool imagery to it. Uh, it's you know it, it. All this is also the year that uh, Eyes Without a Face came out, and you can yep. kind of see some parallels in, in some of the some of the horror that's occurring. I think uh, and the reasons for it. Um, but yeah, this is a, a very unique setting. Uh, I like this windmill with the carousel and these kind of you know macabre statues <laughs> that go yeah. around. Um, very very interesting film. It felt kind of hammer like. That's uh, what I was gonna say. Uh, it yeah. really reminded me of a hammer film, and it did have some uh, dreamlike sequences mm-hmm. and uh, had really good lighting and and a, and a great setting. Same and, coloring. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I had never heard of this movie before. Before I yeah. went looking, so I think if people like early Hammer, they'll really like yep. this one. Yep. So there you go, Tammy. You missed oh, out. I like all those things. So go watch it. It's on YouTube for free. All right, bye. I'm gonna go watch it right now. All right. Moving on to 1961. You like how I just moved right on? Yeah. Like, <laughs> just, don't, don't, the door hit me in the butt on the way <laughs> up. Yeah. All right. Uh, 1961 is Night Tide, directed by Curtis Harrington. Um, stars Dennis Hopper, a young Dennis Hopper, Linda Lawson, Gavin Muir, uh, Le- Luana Anders, H.E. Uh, e. West, Marjorie Cameron, and... Let's see if there's anybody else that I can recognize. Nope. A sailor falls in love with a carnival girl, despite warnings that she is a jinx who has brought about the deaths of two previous suitors. Um, I like this one a lot. I, I enjoyed young Dennis Hopper. I think he's a good actor. And um, yeah, this was uh, this was a good movie. What'd you think? Uh, Tammy, have you seen this one? No, you know, this is, I think it's has been in my queue on to be like, for years. <laughs> it's like one I always mean to watch and I just haven't watched it yet. Dang. Gum it. I know. All right. What about you, Vin? Uh, this is another one I saw a long time ago and I don't think I saw a very good copy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the one you saw was like probably, you know, crisp maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the one yeah. that I saw, I think I remember it was like very grainy, um, but I still liked it. It's a very quiet mm-hmm. film. It's, uh, it's not bombastic at all. It's, um, little kind of a mystery there, yeah. um, you know. But I remember, I remember being a very low key horror film and, and really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me a little bit of um, almost like a Carnival of Souls type vibe. Ooh. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Like it, it's not like really in your face. Yeah, and I, I just love seeing actors that I know very well, mm-hmm. like really young, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, it just uh, uh, I I hadn't really heard of this one until uh, until we um, started searching for some gems. So night tide. All right, this was another one. This next one 
it was crazy. 1963, um, you can, I think, uh, I look at it as um, these are the damned, but some places just call it the damned. The poster says these are the damned. Okay, so that's what I'm going with. And this is a Hammer movie. Um, remember we were talking about like uh, a while back when we were doing our hammer thing that hammer had some non like Gothic type movies. They were like more mm-hmm. modern type horror movies. Uh, we did, um, taste of fear. Um, we did, um, what else did we do? We did a couple, you know, um, of the, of those, uh, um, more modern horror movies from hammer. This is another one. And I hadn't heard of this. Um, it is directed by Joseph Losey or Lucy. I don't know. And the, the first thing that got me is, okay, this is a hammer movie. So I got to watch it. Second <laughs> thing is it stars <laughs> number one, Oliver Reed. Okay. Uh, as a, a younger Oliver Reed, really like Oliver Reed and pretty much everything he does. And it stars McDonald Carey. Do you know who McDonald Carey is? I'm looking. Anybody? No, I don't recognize it. You didn't grow up with your mom making you watch soap operas. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, no. I would watch the. I would watch Days, Days of, our, of lives. our Lives for thirty years. He was. Oh my gosh! With with and, and he was he was the voice. Uh. You know, this is like Sands through the Hourglass. Yeah, like Sands right? through the Hourglass. <laughs> these are these the, the days, of our, days of our And he played the dad of kind of like, you know, everyone in the show. And like, you know, so I, I just knew who he was and I was like, huh. And so I went back and watched a movie. I'd never, I didn't know he was like in movies. So uh, an American tourist, a youth gang leader. Who is Oliver Reed <laughs> and his troubled sister find themselves trapped in a top secret government facility experimenting on children? What did had, did you guys watch this? No, but I no. need to. Have you had you ever heard of it? No. Oh, uh, I I remember seeing the title when we were doing the hammer stuff, but uh, oh my gosh, guys. I didn't know anything about it. This is <laughs> this is just crazy. It's like. At the beginning, um, McDonald Carey is this guy in a suit, and he's he gets jumped by the this gang because he was kind of flirting with Oliver Reed, who was the leader of the gang, his sister. But she kind of played him. She knew she was leading him into a trap. And um, it's weird because McDonald Carey is way old for this role. You know, he he looks like he's in his fifties <laughs> at this time. And well, Oliver he was born Reed, in nineteen thirty-eight, so thirty-eight, so he would have been he'd have been in his third he he looked old, I'm sorry. Um but Oliver Reed is this gang leader. All the guys in the gang are like motorcycle guys. They've got leather from head to toe, and he's in a suit. <laughs> He's in like a, a suit. He looks real nice, and like with a tie. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. And 
you just kind of want, it, it reminded me a little bit of West Side Story at the beginning. Like they were kind of like all whistling and it, it was weird. Wanting to be a jet. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. But they basically, um, they follow McDonald Carey and Oliver Reed's sister. They get back together or they do whatever. She runs away from the gang and, and jumps into the boat with McDonald Carey. And they find this island uh, that has these kids. The All these kids are have been, um, I guess, exposed to radiation. And they're, this is the most convoluted story I've oh, ever heard. Oh, dude, it is weird <laughs> as, as crap. And, and they're being um, prison, imprisoned on this island and kind of experimented on by the government. You know, these kids are, they're dangerous because if you put, you know, if you get near them, you're going to get radioactive poison or whatever. I don't know, radiation poisoning. And the kids have like, kind of like powers and they... They're like ice cold and they call um, regular humans the warm ones. And it's, it's, it's almost like children of the damned. And, and it's almost like a a completely different movie starts about 25 minutes in. It's weird. And and of course, um, Oliver Reed and his gang follow them to the Island. It's, uh, oh my gosh! But it, it's it's fun. It was a fun movie. I'm glad I watched it. And I sh- I showed Vin they're they're coming out with this new Hammer Horror Pack of Blu-rays, and you know this is in there. Um, all of the all the ones I, I mentioned that uh, are are not you know overtly uh, a gothic Hammer movie like you would think. Um, what else? The Taste of Fear. Uh, the next one, Paranoic, which we're going to talk about next. Uh, they're all they're all in there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it because it's worth it. So please please watch this movie and let me know what you think. It it, it reminds me. Yeah. It, it, it I just think you would like it. Oh yeah, they're. I, I'm reading here. It was funny. They were they were singing like black leather, black leather, smash smash smash. Black leather, black leather, kick, kick, kick. It was weird. It was so weird. Okay. You guys are probably like, what is going on here? <laughs> it, it was just so weird. But, oh, yeah, the, the other movie that was um, on that Blu-ray set that I wanted to mention, and I, I really wanted to put it on this list because uh, we've talked about it before, is Never Take Sweets from a Stranger, but I wasn't going to give away 1968. Cause I like that movie. Um, but please, please watch that. That's in that Blu-ray collection too. That's a, that's a definite keeper right there. Never take sweets from a stranger. Right, Vin? Yeah, but it was earlier in 1968. I don't know. I think it was before scream of fear came out that one, but and then I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which one, maybe uh, it was 66, 60. What was it? Never Take Sweets from a Stranger is a 1960 British film directed by Cyril Franco and, Re- Franco and released by Hammer Film Productions. 1960? I don't know. Maybe wh- maybe I should have put it on there instead of Middle of the Stone Woman. But I guess maybe I didn't want, because like, I'm already talking about um, two other Hammer movies in the 60s, so maybe I didn't want to do that. But but there, you got it anyway. So watch it. Never Take Sweets from a Stranger. <laughs> 
Daggone, it's 101. All right, 1963. Can't believe you guys didn't watch that. 1963, we got another uh, Hammer movie. We got another movie starring Oliver Reed. Um, have you heard of this one? Paranoic? Uh, heard yeah. of it. I think you might have talked about it on a roundtable, didn't you? No, I never no, did. No, not this one? Okay. No. Uh, directed by Freddie Francis. Uh, again, Jeanette Scott, Oliver Reed, uh, Sheila Burrell, Maurice... Uh, Denim, eh, Harold Lang, Elaine Browse. That's about all I know. Uh, Simon Ashby is a wealthy psychotic who is coddled by his aunt in their uh, palatial mansion outside of London. One day, Ashby's long lost brother mysteriously arrives at the house, but events prove that he is an imposter sent by Keith Cossett son of the attorney for the family estate who has been dipping into the family trust fund. Okay. I know that doesn't seem like it's a horror movie. I'm not sure why they gave away that daggone twist that the guy's an imposter. I shouldn't, I'm going to cut that. Um, yeah, I'm going to cut that. Oliver Reed plays this rich guy and he's got a sister and his aunt, their parents are dead. Their um, the aunt kind of coddles Oliver Reed and the girl is very kind of like paranoid or something. And she, she misses their older brother, um, who I believe was, his name was Tony, uh, because Tony had killed himself like a couple, maybe eight years ago. Well, all of a sudden she starts to see Tony around the mansion and nobody believes her. And it sounds like that other white hammer movie that we covered but the girl. Yeah, you're talking about um, Scream of Fear. Scream of Fear, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, t- similar, similar, but but um, but it happens. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin, ruin it. Yeah. yeah. But basically, <laughs> Oliver Reed is a, a psychotic person. And it goes, it goes no. down. Huh? <laughs> For real? No. <laughs> he always comes off like he's crazy. <laughs> yes. But this one, this one really, really, you guys really need to watch this one. Um, there's, there's, there's a, there's just a twist at the end. And I was like, what in the world are they doing? Um, Please, please watch this one. This is a hidden gem for show. For show. show. So please watch it. Paranoiac. 1963. All right. 1964. Straight Jacket. Starring June Crawford. A few years after her. uh, uh, What was that? The Unknown she was in? Oh, yeah. 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 A few years after that. um, Directed by William Castle. Well known, uh, but I think this is one of his lesser known movies. Stars Joan Crawford, Diane Baker, Leif Erikson, Howard St. John. Uh, after a 20 year stay at an asylum for a double murder, a mother returns to her estranged daughter where suspicions arise about her behavior. All right. Who wants this one? Tammy wants this one. Sure. <laughs> well, all right. So I am a huge. Joan Crawford fan, not as a person, just, I love, like, she's not in a bad movie, not that I can think Mm -hmm. of anyway. She does 
such a good job in here. This movie has got a great twist. I don't want to say what it is, but it works. Um, She, yeah, she, she commits a murder at the beginning, we'll say, and she gets sent away and her daughter witnesses her doing that. Well, I think once she's released from the asylum, which I guess after 20 years, you're cured of murder. The only place she really is, has to go is to go back with her daughter. But she, you know, she doesn't really, they don't really know each other. She's doesn't feel like she fits into society. Like she doesn't know how to dress. She doesn't know how anything works. She just feels very judged. And so her daughter, like, hey, mom, let's get you a makeover. You you know, it's the 60s now or whatever and, and updates her look. Well, when she does that, like she mentally goes back to the time where she was a murderess, mm-hmm. murderess, right? And people start dying. Now, this one has another very young, you said you like seeing actors when they're young. This is a very young, almost unrecognizable George Kennedy in it. Mm-hmm. And um, Lee Majors. Yep. Yeah. And it's yep. just the story. I, I, it goes somewhere you... I don't know. It got me. I don't know if it'll get everybody. Um, I've seen yeah, it. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. And um, it's just a story of her trying to reacclimate herself and losing herself all over again. And I mean, there's all, there's real life horror, you know, imagine being like reintroduced to your own child after 20 years and they witnessed you kill someone. And so there's that kind. And then there's actual murders that are taking place. And this, the mur- I think it's of the time the killings are off screen, but they're still, you get a really good idea of what's going on. Well, well um, the you get a couple headshots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the beginning, uh, the murder at the beginning, not a spoiler because she kills her, her husband and husband, his lover. Yeah. And you see the heads getting chopped off. Like that's true. Shadow a lot of them after that, yeah. they do it with shadow. Um, yeah, all, all you need to make it really more graphic is some blood spurting, which they didn't yeah. do. But right. I was shocked. I was like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. There goes one head. There goes the other. And Joan Crawford just has that look about her that. Like she's crazy? Like she's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I know I've used this term before, but she's like a very handsome woman, you know? And she just, she's she's almost kind of masculine. And she well, just, she's a handsome woman. Yeah, very similar to her rival, Betty Davis. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm telling you, I thought that um, Diane Baker was awesome. She's I love the, her. She's the, she's the daughter. <laughs> yes. Well, oh, yeah. She, number one, she's smoking. She yeah. is smoking. <laughs> I admit it. I have a girl crush on her bad. She is smoking. <laughs> yeah. And she does such a good... Everybody in here is good, really. Yeah, she I, does a good job. Yeah. But like you said, it's got got a twist, and I, I didn't really see it coming. You know, I was no. thinking not, mm-hmm. not, not in 1965 or 64, but I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of uh, homage to Psycho. And, and very much so mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah but yeah I, I, again i'm not a huge like I, I don't i don't follow joan crawford so this movie was not on my radar mm-hmm. uh, i just hadn't really heard of it so uh, this is one i'd like to get on 
on Blu-ray or something. Well, not, you know, I mean, obviously she wasn't in a ton of horror movies, especially earlier on, but like Mildred Pierce and I mean, I think you as a movie lover, you might enjoy delving into her summer, some of her earlier movies. They're all Crawford. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, I almost put her in uh, 1965 as well because she had, um, oh, what's the one from 1965 that she did? Mm-hmm. Oh, give me a second. Oh, I saw what you did. Mm-hmm. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? Yep. I think I've yeah. seen, like, I made it up. I went through this period where I was just like trying to watch everything of hers. Yeah. Well that, I mean, I saw what you did is one for the, from the next year again, directed by William Castle. Um, so that was in there. She's got one called berserk. Yeah. 1967. Yep. So if not horror, you know, kind of, um, thriller, you kind of, he's got, she got one called trog. Which, Have you seen Trog? No, but that um, that's like one of those so bad it's good. You kind of like kind of really? have to see it kind of thing. I think she's kind of got the Ray Milan thing going on where like, you know, she had this huge, uh, you know, career in the 30s and 40s. And then what do you do in the 60s when someone's becomes, of you know, of a certain age and yeah. uh she just kind of, I mean, <laughs> Trog, it's no, it's horrible. I mean, it's known as like being like one of the worst movies ever, but I think it, it probably wouldn't even get any fanfare at all, except it has Joan Crawford in it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. she's still, just cause she's older and Hollywood's done with her. She's still a great actress and she brings it to every single thing she does, you know, mm-hmm. she's just as into Trog as she was Mildred Pierce. Yeah. You know, so anything she does is good. So at least I think so. She did some westerns, which I don't love westerns, so I haven't really seen any of those. But yeah. other than that, she really doesn't disappoint. Yeah. So you said you hadn't seen this one, Vin? No, I watched it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you liked it as well? Yeah, no, it was a great, great time. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I had seen some people refer to this as like campy. Um, I, I mean, I don't think that, especially Joan Crawford's acting is campy. I think she's actually very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, William Castle, <laughs> he he approaches horror always, there's a kind of a sense of fun about it. You know, like, his, his movies just have that feeling, where even if it's like a serious subject, like, the way that he'll, like, frame the murder or something like that, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. It, it, it's there's a sense of playfulness about yeah. it, um, which I think comes across in it, especially in the opening kill. Yeah. Um, but yeah, once again, yeah, there's, there's a twist in there that I, I thought this movie was more straightforward than what they gave us at the end. And mm-hmm. you know, I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't, you know, it's, it's convoluted, but like, it kind of makes sense still. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> could have yeah. been a lot worse. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to 1965. And this one is um, from Terminator. This and is, yeah. Yes, it is Bunny Lake is Missing. By the way, I had never heard this title in my life. Directed by Otto Preminger, uh, starring Lawrence Olivier, uh, 
Carol Lindley, um, Martita Hunt. I'm trying to see if anybody else I know. Uh, Kier Delay. Oh, Kier Delay. Yeah. yeah, Three Black Christmas in 2001. Yep. And um, it says, a woman reports that her young daughter is missing, but there seems to be no evidence that she ever existed at all. Ooh. <laughs> so tell me about it, because... I have yet to watch it. I, I've, I've, it's on my list. I want to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Uh, but I just couldn't get it in before the recording. Well, before I go off on a love fest, can Vin go? And I'd like to hear what he has to say. Sure. <laughs> uh, now, this is a it's a well-done film. Uh, it's it's a good mystery. Um, you know, it's uh, it's filmed in such a way that it doesn't show all of its cards. You know, it does allow you to doubt this woman because you don't see the daughter at all in the beginning. Um, so you're also just kind of taking her word on it, just like the cops are and everything else. So um, you're trying to figure out exactly what's going on with this. About You know, she's saying her daughter's missing and they, they can't come up with physical evidence that she existed. Um, and there, there's circumstances for why that is. Uh, but it's, it's a cool mystery that unravels. Um, and it's... You know, it's it takes place over a fairly short amount of time. Um, once you get the kind of re- resolution, it's actually pretty simple um, and also kind of weird. I mean, another kind of psycho sort of influence with like mental instability. Um, but the the first two acts are really just mystery, and then the third act it does create like this kind of dark tension. Um, it mm-hmm. becomes much more of a thriller in, it in that. Really dark. Yeah. yeah, and like it's you know, there's nice nice moments of uh, you know apprehension about what's going to happen at a given time, um, and they do a pretty good. And there's really really kind of cool camera movements as well, uh, like following people as they're swinging on swings and the mm-hmm. cameras moving and everything. Um, it's yeah, it's it's a very well done film. Well, All right, Tammy, you're up. <laughs> I think so. I know I've heard of Otto Preminger. I don't think i've ever delved too much into his career i know he did anatomy of a murder and i guess he was kind of known for taking on taboo themes like drug addiction rape and homosexuality now it's never really said in the movie but i think there is some implied incest here Uh, it's definitely mental illness there's child abduction and just that did you guys ever see the movie the net with sandra bullock yeah. Where they, it's it's old, but it's like when the internet first started and somebody like erases her identity. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is obviously way before that, but just it's just so scary how like imagine if you went to pick your kid up from daycare one day and everybody acts like you're crazy, you know, and you know you have a kid, but then it goes on for two acts where you don't see the kid and you start you do start like does she have a kid like you know is she crazy and i think there was some mental i think she had had a breakdown or something anyway there was reason for people to doubt her and she really she has just moved to england to be with who at first i think you think is her husband but it is her brother there's some weird weirdness going on there um and so I don't want to give it away, but like that's the only person that she really has who is 
comes across as like being in her corner and saying, of course, you know, he's telling the detectives, you know, we'll find proof. And she has the kid and she dropped the kid off at school this morning and she's not lying. And, but even he doesn't seem to be able to come up with any proof that the child exists. And then in the third act, it just, it's like, whoa, you know, like it just takes such a different turn that, I don't know. I've seen it several times and it still gets me. It, it goes somewhere kind of like even stronger than in straight jacket. I think it just goes off in this direction that I don't think you really see coming. Even if you suspect that that person might have something to do with it. I don't think you realize how bad it really is. And I think Kier Dulé does a really good job. And I also think Carol Lindley did a really good job, which if you grew up, in the 70s like I did she used to be on all like every single tv show like she's one of those that did like the love boat fantasy island circuit you know charlie's angels circuit was on like everything that was on tv you know but she she's very young in this movie and i think she does like a really great job and uh, you feel that mother's desperation that she has like i just can't even imagine and it could be done to you Easily, especially if you're in a country where you don't know anybody, mm-hmm. that could be done to you, you know, or if somebody yeah. wanted to, especially back then, you know, it would, wouldn't be so easy now necessarily, but. The daggone picture on Letterbox just creeps me out. It's what a picture, is it? It's a, it's a picture of her, Carol Lindley, and she's holding some oil lamp, and she's in a room with all these dolls. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's just the photo looks creepy. It's black and white. And I, I see that there's somebody in the movie named the doll maker. Mm-hmm. And, and that already creeps me out. I'm not <laughs> even sure what that is even about. But uh, Well, one um, of the, she had, um, he, so there's a doll hospital where you, if your dolly gets broken, you can take it there to be repaired. And she, it, in her desperation to try to prove that her daughter exists, she remembers, oh my gosh, I took one of, her dolls there and that's yeah. one of her attempts to she goes there to see if she can find it yeah it's crazy that i had never even heard that this movie exists so i'm i'm, I'm excited to see it and that's why i didn't want to try to rush it and and get it in i, I want to enjoy it because i think i will so i think you really will too i really do it's a so, slow burn, everybody. It's a very slow burn. You got to be patient, but it goes off the rails kind of yeah. in the third act. So you have to watch Never Take Sweets from a Stranger. I know. And you've told me that many times. And, and, I'll, watch, and I'll watch this this week. You have okay. to watch it. All right. And we'll report back to each other. That's right. <laughs> All right. That's uh, Bunny Lake is Missing, 1965. We got four more for this part one. So let's do it, guys. Uh, 19... 19- 66 it's another one that i had not heard of um directed by uh serial frankel it's called the witches and it's there's uh joan fontaine k walsh alec mccowan ann bell uh ingrid bolting john collin and so forth and so on uh following a nervous breakdown gwen takes up the head uh teacher job in the small village of hadaby Uh, This is in England. There she can benefit from the tranquility and peace, enabling her to fully recover. But under the facade of idyllic country life, she slowly unearths the frightening 
reality of village life in which the inhabitants are followers of a menacing satanic cult with the power to inflict indiscriminate evil and death if crossed. There you have it. Um, uh, uh, first of all, <laughs> the title, The Witches, I'm like, okay, this is about witches. Going to like it. Um, I like Joan Fontaine. Mm-hmm. And I love the whole, you know, small village. She's part of, yeah, part of a school. The yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it almost has that like pre-Suspiria, Suspiria mm-hmm. type uh, mm-hmm. vibe to it. But I thought this movie was extremely well shot, extremely well acted. Um, yes. You know, I, I thought it was top notch. And again, how had I, had I not heard of this? I don't know. I have a big giant star written on top of my notes for this one. <laughs> I This movie is everything. Everything. Yeah, it's really good. Did you, had you heard of this? Either of you heard of this before? No. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if I had heard of it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it just seems like something I would have watched that I, you know, but, um, it, and it just, it's crazy. Like we could make another whole list, uh, two or three lists deep. That's, that's how many great movies are out there, you mm-hmm. know, uh, just waiting for us to discover them because, you know, we didn't live in the fifties, sixties, forties, whatever. And, you know, uh, how, how are you supposed to? You, you, Nowadays, you only know they they exist if you dig. <laughs> yes. Nowadays, there's so much. There's something new coming out. What at least two, three times a week in horror. It's overwhelming. Sometimes you just like it's all you can do to keep up, and you don't get to these old ones. I think a mm-hmm. lot of times. Yeah. And it was neat that there. This movie has two female leads. Yes. You know. Yes. Um, it's almost like good versus evil. Plus, uh, Joan Fontaine, have you, did, you, did you see her in Rebecca or Suspicion? Oh, yeah. It's such yep. a different Joan Fontaine in here than mm-hmm. she usually p- plays, kind of like the demure, quiet, mousy. And she's not that in here at all. Yep. Now, is this a, is this a Hammer movie? Mm-hmm. See, I had no, I just had yeah. no idea. Yep, it's a Hammer movie. And you can just tell the palette. You, you know what? I just pretty much I could say I think I would know a Hammer movie if I saw one. I don't mm-hmm. know what it's just you know got that look to it. It's got that palette. That's the music. Just I don't know. It just has that look about it for me. And yeah. Oh, the, the the palette of this movie is so beautiful. And mm-hmm. I was like you. I was like, oh, witches. Oh, I'm gonna like this. Well, I didn't know I was gonna absolutely fall in love with it, and I really did. It's so good. Yeah. Again, it's a, it's a movie that I'd like to own on Blu-ray. Yes, yes, me too. Really would, because I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to watch it. Uh, Vin, did you like it? Oh, go ahead. I didn't see this one. What? Oh, you didn't see it? Dude, watch it. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a movie you'll like. It's a movie Okay, like. Mark, I thought there was two really good scares. The first one was when the cat was wearing the doll. Uh huh. I was like, "What the heck what is the that?" Fuck is that yes? And then, okay, I wrote down three minutes in, and this reminds me of it follows where that big guy comes through the door. Yeah, I wrote at three minutes in the giant mask. Yeah, was very jarring. Like, oh, you know, yeah. it hurts my brain to look at it. Yeah, like no wonder she got a nervous breakdown. 
such a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, could be a fantastic remake. Yes. Really could be. But not improved upon. I don't think you could improve upon it. You no, could just, just do just it update. and do it well, but this just is update. so. Yep. I mean, the only thing that I would change really is, is you could be a little bit more graphic. Yes. And I would like a little bit more to, I'd like to know a little bit more about the witches or the, whatever they were, the cultists, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, yeah. Get on that, Vin. All right. 1967, three more to go guys, uh, is the murder clinic. Directed by uh, by two people, Elio Scardamaglia. I don't know, Scar, Scardamaglia, Scardamaglia, Elio Scardamaglia, and Leonella Di Felice. Um, stars William Berger or Berger. I'm not sure if it's Berger or Berger. Mary Young, um, Barbara Wilson, Felipe Hercent, Harriet. Medine. Um, I'm going to guess it's an Italian film. I believe so. (laughs) Um, Patients and those working in an isolated mental hospital are murdered one by one by a madman lurking in the corridors. All right. What did you think about this one, Vin? Um, Yeah, I enjoyed this one. Um, Yeah, it is is Italian. Uh, You know, it's weird, weird plot elements in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, I don't know how else to say it. it it's just, it's definitely not the way that most movies are written <laughs> the way characters come in and out of this story. Uh, yeah. you know, how they end up showing up, uh, we, the way things, you know, uh, proceed. Um, it's, it's very, very different in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good looking film, uh, I like the uh, the killer stalking and like the black cloak. Mm-hmm. Um, There's another period piece, yep. um, and you know I I did kind of like the the end explanation. I thought that was actually pretty decent. Had you heard about this? No. Yeah, me. I hadn't heard of this one at all. Yeah, I mean it's it's gothic horror. It's got some giallo elements to it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know it's a proto slasher. Again, we use that term a lot but um yeah i think I, I think if you're really into italian horror this one's probably on your radar but if you if if it's not get get on it i think you'd enjoy it get it on it tammy yes sir because i know you haven't seen it mm-hmm. all right 1968 and this is uh another one of my favorites uh, and I know it's one of Tammy's favorites here. Yep. And this one was so it was so hard to find for me until Tammy realized that this movie is on Tubi, but you can't search for it with the, um, the English. English title. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to give you the the uh, Mexican or the the Spanish um, title as well. So you can look it up, but it's 1968. Even the wind is afraid. Um, and the Italian, oh, the Italian, the Spanish title is uh, Hasta el Viento uh, Tiene Miedo. Yeah. So if you type in Hasta el Viento, it'll it'll start coming up on Tubi because that way you can get a really good um, 
transfer and a good um, subtitle because this this movie is very difficult to find. You have to pay a, a good amount of money for the DVD or Blu-ray if you want that. And then you have um, every once in a while, a copy of this will pop up on YouTube and literally like two hours later, later it'll get taken down. So I'm not sure what's going on, uh, why this is so hard to locate. But uh, it's a Mexican film directed by Carlos Enrique Tobada. Uh, this Mexican horror film concerns... Uh, I'm not going to say. This horror film... Oh, <laughs> I don't like to have that sit. This Mexican horror film centers around a group of college students led by Claudia. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Claudia. <laughs> who decide to investigate investigate a local tower on their campus that has figured prominently in disturbing reoccurring dreams Claudia has been having. The dream also consists uh, of a hanged woman's body. They are suspended from school for their antics, but Claudia learns from one of the female staff members that the person in the dream is a student who killed herself years before and that the teacher has seen her ghost. Um, This stars a lot of uh, Mexican actresses and actors. uh, uh, I really haven't heard of any of them. Marga Lopez, Mara Cruz uh, Oliver or Olivier. Alicia Bonet, uh, Norma Lazarino. Yeah, I, I don't. I looked through and, and uh, I think most of them just kind of stayed in the, the Mexican film industry and never really branched out. I had never heard of this. And as I was digging on the internet for, you know, hidden gems and just kind of going down the daggone um, rabbit hole. This thing popped up, and it's set at a at a girls' college. Uh, although, is it really a college? I or don't know. It, it seemed school. like it was like a boarding school. Like yeah, a, I think it's like I think it's like a high school, like a boarding. Yeah, it's like a private right. boarding school for teenage girls. I'm just saying that uh, the um, the thing here, the summary says college, which would make me feel better. Yeah, I don't think was, I, don't think, I don't think they're supposed to be adults. If you know what I'm saying, yeah. But, um, but I mean, it's the setting is fantastic. It's at this mm-hmm. all girls boarding school. Um, I thought every single one of those girls, yep. Uh, n- not only were they beautiful, uh, yep. but they were good actresses. Yes, like, you think of like a 1968 Mexican horror film that it's going to be really over the top or bad acting. Nope. No. Uh, everybody in it uh, did a fantastic job. I thought that Claudia, who's uh, played by Alicia Bonet, w- was the star of the show. Um, and also the the one girl that was kind of kitty. <laughs> Norma <laughs> Lazarino or Laz- yeah, Lazarino. She was the bad girl. Of the group. She does a great strip tease, though. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious, <laughs> and and that was a nice little jump scare too. Yeah, you weren't expecting that. Nope. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed this, man. I, I knew I would enjoy it when at the very beginning the girl wakes up from this nightmare and there's like feet hanging, like there's somebody hanging from. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a great movie. opening shot. Yeah, and I was just like, how have I never? 
right? heard of this. I was going to ask you, how did you find out about this? You know what this reminds me a little bit of? Eerie. That not that yeah. an Indonesian yeah, or whatever? The, the Filipino. Yeah, Filipino, Filipino yeah. film. Um, which, which we might hear about later oh, on. Oh, that's right. That's right. But, um, you know, I don't even remember. I mean, I just, I just start, start going down rabbit holes. Like I'll go on Letterboxd or I'll go on IMDb and, and, and then I'll, if I see a movie that I like, then I'll, I'll click on more like this and mm-hmm. I might click on that like 12 times and you <laughs> just keep going down this rabbit hole. Yeah. And I don't remember what drew me to it. Um, uh, probably just the name, even the wind is afraid. I was like, huh. Let me see. Wow, this one gets another one of my absolutely best hidden gem awards because it was a real treat to be introduced to this. It was so good. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, it's a little, it's a little predictable, but yeah, but I, it's okay because the the story is so good and the acting is so good, and it almost has got this palette that where it almost looks like it was filmed in Technicolor. It's these great colors in. It, um, Oh, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And it's almost an all woman movie. There's very, there's like a boyfriend and a caretaker. I think that's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. And, uh, uh it, it kind of has a little twist mm-hmm. at, 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 you know, um, at the beginning of the third act, like it, beca- it, 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 it's more of, um, from there, from the beginning to there, it's more of like a murder mystery and mm-hmm. like what's going on, like a ghost story. And then it becomes kind of a little bit of something else, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and I just was very impressed, man. I was yeah, very impressed. Too. I don't know um, if this director did anything else. It, it, I'm looking right here. He, d- he did some other stuff. Um, oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? He did the movie that we're watching for 1984, hmm. Poison for the Fairies. I just spoiled it, but that's all right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, so you know, I, I I was I was so happy to. Uh, yeah, me too. And 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 then when you said this thing is on Tubi, I was like, praise. Praise the Lord. And you know what? Actually, I didn't know it was like I put in even the wind is afraid just as a general Google, and it told me. You know, it found it by this Mexican, like, it told me it was on Tubi. Like, I didn't, like, know to even search by its Mexican name, you know. Like, I put the real name into Google, and then it it said, blah blah whatever is yeah. on Tubi. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how I missed that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I missed that, but... Oh, yeah, and I just want to mention this. He did, he did another movie in 1975 that has really good ratings called Blacker Than Night. Well, I think I would watch anything he made if... If, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, anything else you guys want to say about this one? I know Vince fading. He's like, let's get done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just one thing I'll throw out there that I really liked about the movie is, um, you know, usually when you have this kind of situation, especially in American films, and like somebody sees a ghost, the, you spend like most of the movie trying to convince people that it's real. Mm-hmm. And I love how like right from the very beginning, all these girls are like on the same page. And yeah. it's kind of like, you know, the group of them trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, I, I like I like the ensemble element of that. Yeah. Well, and I think even the teachers who knew what was had occurred in the past, I think they were even, though they pretended they weren't, I think they were kind of on board, too, in fear of what it could be. Yeah. Yeah. 
just I, I just did not expect this movie to be that good. So mm. anyway, and the last one for the night is 1969's The Cremator, uh, directed by Haraj Hertz. And I'm not going to go through all the. Um, I think this is this a Russian movie. I think it was Czech. I didn't Czech. see it, but I think it was Czechos. Czechoslovakia. Yeah, you didn't see the movie yet. No, I didn't either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, gee, I only had like 50 well, other ones to watch. <laughs> I'm not real sure if if you'll like it, Tammy. I oh, think okay. this is a movie that Vin would really like. Um, it, it, it's uh, 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 the guys, I can't even say his name, Kopfringl, whatever, uh, enjoys his job at a crematorium. Uh, in Czechoslovakia in the late 1930s, he likes reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead and espouses the view that cremation reli- relieves earthly suffering. Um, yeah, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, again, not an easy movie to find, but this is uh, a, a movie with, shot in black and white, even though it's 1969. Uh, for some reason, it just works in in 1969 in black and white um it's really well shot it's very art house uh it's got a great score uh yeah come on you guys gotta watch this Uh, again i don't think this is this is my prediction tammy you're not gonna like it and vin you're gonna like it that's that's what i'm that's what i'm feeling but i had never heard of this movie before at all not even i mean not was it wasn't anywhere on my radar and and you know where anyway i'm not gonna say anything else please watch it all right do we do we have a a deal you're gonna watch it vin (laughs) yeah i'll check it out all right because i'm gonna ask but i have i have five other decades of movies i have to watch (laughs) i can't promise i'm gonna see it by next time but i will watch it (laughs) i think that you'll like I think that you'll like it, man. You'll be like, oh, this is a really good one. So Mark found a good one. All right. And, and then it will make up for Scared Stiff. It really will. <laughs> it will. It will. Er- the cremator will erase Scared Stiff from your memory. All right. So, all right. Well, we just knocked out 50 of the top, uh, or not top, but our hidden gems list. We've got 50 more to go, and that will be released. Um, after we record it, we just need a, we need a break after this bad boy. Um, but uh, that will be coming up soon. And uh, what do you guys uh, what do you guys say? We're not even going to give plugs tonight. We're just going to get out because we just spent what three four hours on yeah. on, uh, on here. So we're tired. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, you guys can get on Letterboxd. You can get on my Plex. You can get on these places. You can start watching these movies and let us know what you think. But there's a lot of great hidden gems that we just gave you. So hopefully you'll start watching them. Well, this is Mark Nato signing off from the horror cast where it's all killer, no filler. Stay scared.
infamous bird. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's just very funny to me right now. I don't know. <clears throat> <clears throat> Son of a gun. All right. We might we might be doing uh, the other decades uh, uh, another <laughs> on Tuesday. So, infamous burglar the bat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've done a hundred some episodes. I've never I've never done this. <laughs> Why can I not stop laughing? <laughs> Vin does not find this funny at all. Oh, boy. He's <laughs> already too pissed. Oh, man, this is good. This is I'm good. just thinking of the precious moments while I'm still connected. This is, this is going, this is going uh, after the, um, the theme music at the end. This is a... Uh, a blooper. A blooper so. reel, yeah. <laughs> Ooh-wee. Infamous burglar the bat commits a daring jewel theft. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it, Vin. You want to do it? I can't do it. Oh, because it makes no sense. Oh, let me see. Okay. I think I, fa- I, think I found one. Okay. All right. 